start. Good afternoon again. Uh, this meeting of the Napa Valley College Board of Trustees is now called to order at 4.33 p.m. Uh, we'll welcome members of the public. Uh, instructions on making public comment are posted in item one of the agenda, and we will ask at each item if there is public comment. Catherine, will you do roll call, please? Absolutely. It's organized here. Um, all right. Uh, student trustee Soda Gonzalez, are you here? I don't see that he is here. No, he's not. Okay. Uh, trustee Rios. Here. Trustee DeLuna. Here. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, trustee Baldini. Here. Trustee Goff. Here. Trustee Baker. Here. Trustee Iverson. Here. And Trustee Don. Here. Oh, and it looks like uh, uh, Trustee Soto Gonzalez is in the waiting room. Oh, let me go find him. There he is. Okay. Hold on. Here he comes. I'm here. <laughs> okay, thank you. I have counted you. All present. Great. I think we need to finish. Do we have any more trustees? I don't know if you called my name, but I'm here. Uh, yes, Trustee Dada. I think I called your name. Okay, so all are present. Great. Thank you. Will you open up the flag for the Pledge of Allegiance, please? Let's see. Trustee Rios, would you do us the honor of uh, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, please? Sure. I pledge allegiance to the flag, flag. flag of the United, United States, States of America, America. To, the Republic. to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, nation under God, God indivisible, indivisible, with liberty, with liberty and, justice and justice for all. Thank you very much. I will move to... Uh, Item uh, 2.3, adoption of the agenda. Um, I have two changes. Um, the first is removing agenda item 8.2, core inquiries from the accreditation peer review team. Um, the second change is regarding I item 14.1, and we'll, I'll make maybe another announcement too for folks that aren't here, um, but removing um, from the first reading of board policies, uh, BP 4260 prerequisites and co-requisites um, based on, um, I think some very helpful communications from our, our co-chair of the curriculum committee, Seth Anderson, which is uh, in public comment as part of that uh, agenda item. Um, he assured me that, um, that that BP 4260 will be going through um, accreditation committee um, I think on the 17th or the 18th um, of this month, and, and so it should curriculum be before committee. us. Excuse me? Curriculum committee. Yeah, uh, the curriculum committee, if, if I didn't say that. Um, so it should be before us as a first reading um, uh, next month. Uh, do we have any other changes to the agenda? Uh, yes, or Trustee Dodd. We are going to pull BP 7380. Uh, the district determined that it does not apply to our district. 7380. Mm -hmm. Okay. Move for approval on the agenda with the requested changes. Iverson. 
Second, Maldini. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 We'll adopt, Aye. By, adopt the agenda by consensus and move on to uh, item three, public comment on closed session items. Um, at this time, we will devote up to 15 minutes to hear comments regarding closed session items. Uh, individual comments will be limited to three minutes. Is there any public comment regarding any closed session item? Uh, I have not received any for closed session and I see no hands raised. I see no hands raised either. And I'm not aware of any uh, public comment regarding closed session either. Um, so at this time, the board will move into closed session covering uh, item 4.1 conference with labor negotiators, item 4.2 public employee discipline dismissal release, item 4.3 public employment. And we should uh, reconvene approximately uh, 5.30 p.m. Good evening, uh, we'll return back from closed session at 5.37 p.m. And in terms of uh, information, need to announce um, items from closed session. And um, this evening, the Board of Trustees unanimously took action to non-renew uh, the following 28 positions. Associate Dean, Mason STEM Programs, Assistant Director, Criminal Justice Training, Technical Director, Performing Arts, Director, Public Affairs and Communications, Dean, Enrollment and Outreach Services, Senior Dean of Health and Safety, Senior Dean, Career Education and Workforce Development, Senior Dean, Financial Aid, EOPS TRIO Programs, Manager of Student Life, Manager of Training Development, Associate Dean of Talent Search and Student Support Services, Manager of Dual Enrollment and Educational Partnerships, Senior Director of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, Senior Dean of Language Arts, Library and Social Sciences, Senior Dean of Research, Planning and Institutional Effectiveness, Senior Manager Payroll, Director of Enterprise and Auxiliary Services, Senior Dean of Student Affairs, Associate Dean of Kinesiology, Athletics and Dance, Senior Manager Caminos al Exito, uh, HSI Grant Project, Controller, Manager of Winery Operations, Senior Manager Accounting, Director of Upper Valley Campus, Director of Criminal Justice Training, Director of Student Health Services, Senior Dean of Arts and Sciences, and Chief of Police. Uh, I think this is probably the most uh, difficult uh, decision that um, I think I've had to do uh, since uh, joining the Board of Trustees in, in 2018, especially as uh, a lot of those folks on the list are, are very you know, close friends of mine and, and some of the most hardworking people on campus. And quite often, I think their work goes uh, uh, unrecognized because they're in the background. And um, we have a, a, a 2.5 uh, budget deficit, $2.5 million budget deficit. And, and um, as Dr. Frost um, sent out an email earlier, um, the SERP, which we're trying to use to 
um, bridge that budget gap is, 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 has been unsuccessful because we don't have enough folks that have opted into it. Um, so what we're just trying to do here is provide the least disruption to the instruction of our students as possible. And um, I'm very hopeful. I think speaking on behalf of all the board members of the board of trustees, I'm, I'm, we're all very hopeful that uh, I think more people opt into the SERP, um, especially with the one month extension to April 18th and um, Obviously, if we have enough people opting into the SERP, uh, we'll be able to pull back these notices um, uh, right away. So, um, if there's anything else to add from any other uh, trustees, I'll, I'll move on to uh, item six, uh, public comment. Um, moving on to general public comment. Uh, this is a public comment opportunity is governed by the California Brown Act. By definition, this is an opportunity to hear concerns, perspectives, and differing vantage points. The board is not able under the Brown Act to engage in any level of conversation or discussion, but we look forward to this opportunity to gather community input. At this time, the board will devote up to 15 minutes to review, comment uh, to the board on any matter um, that is not appearing on our agenda this evening, um, but which the board has jurisdiction. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items and each comment uh, shall be limited to a time of three minutes. I see we have um, quickly before we move to attendees, Catherine, I know we, we do have some other items for um, general comment. I want to make sure um, our trustees have reviewed those um, two letters. One from that's uh, Kathy Gillis and Nadine Wade Gravit. Those uh, were there was no request to read that one aloud, and the other one is from Stephanie Grose. Right, and I do just want also want to make did everybody have an opportunity to review those letters, or do we need uh, more time? I'm happy to take a couple minutes. I reviewed them before the meeting. Okay. Thank you. I did too. Thank you. Okay. Catherine, can we move to uh, attendees with their, their hands up and, and please let us also know if you see any uh, emails in your inbox um, asking for any sort of public comment as well. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm checking my inbox and I'm allowing uh, Naomi Kionese to, to speak. Everyone, can you hear me okay? Yes, thanks, Naomi. Can you please uh, state your name for public comment? Yeah, my name is Naomi Kianese. Thank you. All right. On February 9th, I facilitated a group discussion of the book White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. I utilized the recording of the May 13th board meeting, an existing public record that the group was already familiar with as a teaching tool. I edited the four hour long meeting into a 14 minute video so that we could examine the interactions between the board of trustees and Academic Senate President Dr. Eileen Tejada, her claims of racist behavior, and the statements made by trustees in response to her claim. We analyzed this cultural text and used it to further our understanding of the reading, and it was quite effective. I did not intend to keep the video a secret and will be using it in my race and ethnicity class. Again, the recording of the meeting is public record, and I was careful to include everyone's statements in their entirety. I stand behind the accuracy of my video and encourage everyone to watch it if they haven't already. Within a few hours of it being shown, Trustee Dodd learned about the video. That evening, he called Dr. Tejada at home. 
not to apologize like he should have done months ago, but according to Dr. Tejada, to demand that she pull the video. The idea that the president of the Board of Trustees would have the audacity to urge Dr. Tejada to infringe on the academic freedom of another faculty member is troubling. And I believe it may be a violation of BP 2715, the Board Code of Ethics. However, what I find most reprehensible about Trustee Dodd's February 9th phone call is that he re-victimized Dr. Tejada by pressuring her to help him cover up his racist actions. This clearly demonstrates that in the nine months since the original incident, the Board of Trustees has done nothing to interrogate their implicit biases or engaged in the DEI training that faculty urged them to do. If they had, Trustee Dodd would have thought twice about picking up the phone to harass Dr. Tejada yet again. Trustee Dodd's lack of self-awareness and disregard of professional boundaries is alarming. The board's ongoing refusal to apologize to Dr. Tejada for their behavior at the May Board of Trustees meeting is egregious. You have failed to take responsibility and failed to learn from the incident. Not perceiving the underlying racism that so many faculty have pointed out to you can be attributed to your white privilege. Not trusting us when we tell you that it's racist and refusing to take steps to change your behavior is outright arrogance. I want to emphasize that a public apology to Dr. Tejada is long overdue and an absolutely necessary first step toward repairing the harm that President Dodd and the other members of this board have done. Whether or not you choose to admit it, your implicit biases and lack of DEI training results in a blind spot that impedes your ability to work effectively with the campus community and to serve your constituents. I strongly urge you once again to engage in this essential training and to make it the board's top priority. Thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Catherine? Um, yes, so I'll bring in Shauna Bynum. Thank you. Can you guys hear me? We can, Shauna. Thank you. All right, members of the board, my name is Shauna, and I currently serve as the faculty chair for mathematics. I'm here today to express my sincere disappointment over two recent events at our college. One is the way that the suspension of our criminal justice training program was handled. While I understand this action is technically allowed under our current policies, it does not follow the intention of our program discontinuance procedures. But more importantly, notifying staff of this decision in a Friday afternoon all campus email shows an extreme lack of empathy and respect for my colleagues in the CJT program. Perhaps this was the right decision during these difficult times, but we will never know since it was made behind closed doors and announced in a manner guaranteed to endanger, endanger any sense of legitimacy. The second matter is related to what Naomi was just speaking with you about. Perhaps the actions of this board during that meeting were not intentionally racist, but they were a textbook example of white fragility and how many of us have an ingrained instinct to preserve white privilege. My reflections on this event included empathy toward Dr. Tejada, who was completely disrespected and had both her professionalism and feelings disregarded. But they also included hope that we could all learn from this experience, do some serious self-reflection, implement trainings as suggested by Trustee DeLuna at the time, and prevent something like this from ever happening again. 
Instead, it was with shock and outrage that I later learned how our academic Senate president was called on her personal phone and ordered to remove a video showing a public meeting that she had not posted and she did not have any control over. I did expect her to be contacted once members of the board realized we were discussing this, but what I was expecting was sincere apology and admission of not realizing how actions were serving to exacerbate the racism so many experience every day. But instead, what we saw was another attempt by those with privilege to silence a woman of color. This demand demonstrated a severe lack of understanding of these racial issues, fundamental principles of academic freedom and common decency. My shock and outrage are mixed with sadness and disappointment. However, I remain hopeful we can still turn this disastrous situation into a learning opportunity that our board can set an example for our community of how to move forward with care and deliberation when mistakes have been made, how to do the hard work of training, reading, listening, and self-examination to move us forward in the right direction. I implore you to reconsider your actions and behave in a manner more befitting the leadership you have been entrusted with. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Shauna. Catherine, we have uh, two more people. Uh, we Great. have, I believe we have one more. It's Christy Kling. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, Christy. You have uh, three minutes, Christy. Are you there? Permission to speak has been granted. It's still there. Why don't we move on to the next um, attendee with our hand up, and then hopefully Christy will be able to, to reconnect by the time. Uh, I'm back. I'm, can... I heard you for a second, Christy, and then you just cut out again. And it looks, um, just for my visual, it says it's connecting to audio, so perhaps maybe your internet connection is... Uh, can you hear me now, Jeff? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. What um, I had just requested for the, um, the email responses that went to the Board of Trustees by noon today, I understand they can be uh, read out loud up to three minutes. If that could be done, I would appreciate it. Absolutely, Christy. Did you, you you had a comment on um, for item uh, uh, thirteen? Excuse me, fourteen point one board policies. No, not at this time. I just wanted the to ask that the comments be read out loud. Uh, I I did not receive a comment from you. Oh, I I was just asking. I thought it was an open session for general comment. Uh-huh. It is, it is, Chrissy, um, unless uh, the uh, authors of the specific letters um, requested that their letters are, are read as part of public comment, um, we were not of the practice to go ahead and, and read those. So we did have one, I thought, for item 14.1, there was someone who requested comment. But, but, but thank you. Do you have anything else that you'd like to, to add? 
probably uh, Trustee Dodd, I, just a personal comment as a faculty member, I can't help but share with the rest of you how distressing it is to learn from my colleagues across the board of, of their fear. There's a lack of communication. There's low morale. There's basically hardly anybody on campus so that if you do want to discuss some, but something, you, you, you can't. And um, I think the lack of communication open, transparent communication is just lacking. And it's just so distressing to see this happen before our eyes. I think the last point I would like to make, as a woman, as an immigrant, as someone of a different race uh, than, than is the majority here in Napa, it distresses me to no end to learn that a colleague, our president of our faculty senate, who has experienced several incidences of racism on our campus, as have many faculty and staff members have experienced racism on, on our campus, to have this happen um, at the highest levels of leadership distresses not just the faculty and the staff, but the students. And it is very difficult to see this lack of respect um, that has been given. And that is what I would like to share. And that's what I've been observing um, on campus. And this is my third semester on campus face-to-face -face, uh, with in-person classes. And this is what I have observed, and I just wanted to share that with you all. Thank you. Thank you, Christy, very much. Okay. Okay, I believe we have completed public comment there. Move on to um, item seven uh, and 7.1 uh, with the reports. Uh, board welcomes reports from campus groups, uh, which may be made verbally or submitted in writing. Catherine, I'm sorry, before I just jump off, can you just confirm, because I don't trust my eyes right now, um, that we don't have any more members of the public wishing to, to speak as part of public comment? Uh, yes, I'm confirming there are no hands raised and uh, I haven't received any more emails. Okay, thank you. Then we'll, we'll close a, a, a general public comment and move on to item seven I, for reports. Um, the board welcomes reports from campus groups which, be made, uh, which may be made verbally or submitted in writing. The board will keep all reports to five minutes. If a report is expected to last over five minutes, um, you should notify the president's office or the board chair in order to place your issue on the agenda as a separate item. However, I don't believe we've received any such requests, Catherine. Uh, 
I'm sorry, could you ask the question? Oh, in terms of uh, uh, any uh, members of campus groups wanting to go over five five minutes? I have not received any requests for that. Okay. Um, in addition, we're hopeful that all documents presented must be set, uh, sent in ahead of the meeting apart, as part of any sort of presentation and those documents um, will ultimately become part of the public record under the Brown Act. So uh, moving to uh, report 7.2, Academic Senate, Dr. Eileen Tejada. Greetings trustees, Napa Valley College community and members of the public. Tonight I wish to acknowledge that we are transacting business on the unceded land of the Pomo, Potwin, Mayakma, Mustitu, Mush, uh, Mishual and Miwok people who have uh, stewarded this land for thousands of years. Tonight, I recognize the repeated violations of sovereignty, territory, and water perpetuated by invaders that have impacted the original inhabitants of this land for over 400 years. I extend our respect to citizens of these nations today and to their ancestors and to all indigenous people. As a descendant of the Taino and African people of the Caribbean, I draw on their strength tonight as I give my report. I wish to make six requests tonight, and I hope that I will be allowed to finish my report without interruption. Number one, I respectfully request that the Board of Trustees abide by Ed Code and rescind any time limits on constituent group reports. There has never been a time limit in this section, and this time is permitted without restriction to the Academic Senate. In the spirit of shared governance and effective participatory governance, as enshrined in Ed Code and Title V, and as recognized as effective practice and in the Accreditation Standard 4A, B, and C evidence, allowing each constituent group to share our accomplishments and concerns demonstrates that the Board of Trustees cares about the college community it was elected to serve. Two, on behalf of concerned faculty, I request that the Board of Trustees and their agent publish administrative salaries and salary changes on the Board of Trustee HR documents. Faculty and classified are still there, are, are still there. However, the administrative salaries that used to be there um, disappeared about four years ago from the page. We request they be published, and we also request that the new president's salary be published in that location also. Three, I respectfully request that we begin the deficit-cutting measures at the Board of Trustee level. I request that any salaries, stipends, honorariums, and health care benefits to the Board of Trustees be eliminated until Napa Valley College has a balanced budget and is removed from the ACCJC enhanced monitoring status. I respectfully request that the Board of Trustees come back into compliance with the ACCJC Standard 4B1, Standard 4B2, and Standard 4C12. I respectfully request that the Board of Trustees and their agent return to the model of shared governance and effective participatory governance at Napa Valley College. I respectfully request that the Board of Trustees adheres to its own policies and college administrative procedures that have gone through mutual agreement. 
I respectfully request that the Board of Trustees and its agent come into compliance by adhering to Administrative Procedure 2410 policy revision as mutually agreed upon through collegial consultation in an attempt to comply with ACCJ standard, uh, ACCJC standards for A, B, C, Ed Code, and Title V, AP 4024, program discontinuance and come back into compliance with ACCJC standard 2A15 and that the board policy uh, and that the three board policies that through collegial consultation fall under rely primarily status be respected and that the uh, seven board of trustees policies that um, fall under mutual agreement through collegial consultation also be respected. I respectfully request that the interim president convene a multi-constituent college council task force so the Napa Valley College leadership can collectively study and make recommendations concerning cost-saving measures to close the college deficit and meet ACCJC deadlines for enhanced monitoring status. Our voices in matters of planning and budget are enshrined in Ed Code Title V as 10 plus 1 for Academic Senate, 9 plus 1 for Classified Senate, 9 plus 1 for the Associated Students, and, and as a matter of effective good practice of participatory governance, the Administrative Senate. Such action would demonstrate the Board's willingness to comply with ACCJC Standard 4A. Lastly, I continue to request that the Board of Trustee and their agent receive much needed implicit bias training. This Board of Trustees demonstrates, a, with each decision, demonstrates a lack of understanding of how their continued implicit bias has a deleterious effect in every area of their decision-making processes. This concludes my report. Thank you, Dr. Todd. Item 7.3, a report, Administrative Confidential Senate, Robert Harris. Uh, hold on just a sec. I've just brought him in. Thank you, Catherine. Mm Please excuse the video one second while I get the <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> okay, here we go. Good evening, trustees, colleagues, and the Napa Valley College community. A journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Approximately seven months ago, the Academic Affairs Council members of the Student Affairs Council and the Executive Committee of the Academic Senate embarked upon a diversity, equity, inclusivity colloquia to work toward addressing prejudice and systemic racism on and around our campus. The individuals participating in the colloquia are administrators, faculty, and classified professionals from various areas on campus. In order for this work to be successful, the work requires mindful reflection, a commitment to be better, a commitment to engage, a sense of trust, and a willingness to be vulnerable. 
In advance of the colloquia, ground rules were established and agreed to in order to facilitate open, earnest, and honest dialogue. The February 9th, 2022 meeting proved to be a particularly raw and illuminating for a variety of reasons. My personal epiphany came when I noted that I often feel exhausted and spent after these sessions. It was then pointed out by some of my colleagues. That is how they feel every day while confronting racism, whether subtle or overt. I'm a white middle-aged male who has experienced privileges that have been not been afforded to my colleagues of color, race, language, sex, or sexual orientation. Seven months ago, I would not have been able to say that out loud to this or any group. The colloquia have provided me with the opportunity to truly reflect on my actions and inactions during my lifespan, and I aspire to be better for myself, my family, and my community. To that end, I offer my colleagues, most specifically Dr. Eileen Tahara, my deep regret and my sincere apology for my inaction and silence on the evening of, in May 2021. The administrative Senate steadfastly supports the continuance of the DEI colloquia and stands in support of our academic and classified Senate colleagues in this endeavor. Further, the administrative Senate membership encourages everyone associated with the NBC community to participate and engage in such opportunities. By taking steps to end systemic racism by our individual actions and taking accountability for those actions or inactions, we can make Napa Valley College a truly safe, healthy, and healing place for our students, our community, and ourselves. The Administrative Senate membership can, continues to be very concerned with the trajectory of the campus, the fragility of our constituents, as evidenced about 20 minutes ago, and wishes to work in collaboration with faculty, classified professionals, and executive administration and the board to extract the campus from the situation that we are currently experiencing via adherence to established processes of governance. We appreciate Dr. Frost joining us at a recent meeting where he engaged in discussion with our membership about the challenges we are facing and the continual uncertainty which has not subsided since the beginning of the academic year. At the February board meeting, it was suggested that reports by the campus constituency groups be limited to, in time to be consistent with public time, comment time limits, ostensibly to expedite the meeting. Our, con our constituent reports are not a filibuster. The constituent reports are done to provide the board the voice of each group and to, prov in and to provide information from the people who work closest with the students, our consumers, and with each other on a daily and regular basis. We are the individuals who are asked to enact and adhere to policy and to meet the expectations of the board, the campus, the students, our colleagues, and the community. The academic senate via the faculty, the classified senate via classified professionals, and the administrative senate via administrative confidential membership have their collective fingers on the pulse of the campus and have a strong knowledge of the temperature of the campus. In medicine, pulse and temperature are two vital signs of life that measure the health or threat to health of a person. Therefore, creating a specific time limit on constituency reports is to potentially miss vital signs of life or disease from within the campus and from those who are in the trenches every day. We respectfully request that the board reconsider placing time, li time limits on constituent reports. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Report uh, <clears throat> 7.4, Associated Students. Marcus uh, Texan, who I, I don't believe is here. Um, but David, were you going to read his report? Yeah, I was going to read his report. Hold Wonderful. on, let me. Okay, here it is. Um, can you guys hear me fine? Yes. Yeah. There you go. We can hear you well. Uh, so it's good evening, trustees, Dr. Frost, college mm -hmm. administrators, faculty, and the college community. We are now in March. ASNBC will be incredibly busy over the next week as several of our members will be going to Washington, D.C. 
for the National Student Advocacy Conference held by the American Student Association of Community Colleges. We are still trying to organize a delicate team to be sent to the SSCCC General Assembly in April, but we may resort to having our delegates attend the virtual holding portion of the assembly due to scheduling issues. Over the past month, we have been able to recruit two new members, Mariah San Jose and Jeff Siriaco Garvey, which is that name, to fill the Senator at Large vacancy. Sadly, Senator at Large for Christopher Olivier has tendered his resignation to my office to focus on his studies in addition to personal reasons. After this set of conferences, ASNVC will be hard at work planning for a graduation reception and other events for April and May. Thank you. This concludes my report. Thank you, Student Trustee Soto Gonzalez. Our classified association report, Dixie Larson. Hi, good evening. Um, I just have a statement. We now live in a new normal where the ethics of an organization determine its success. As mentioned in the recent Napa Valley College presidential candidate questions and answer sessions, NVC is suffering a crippling blow to morale. To exasperate that feeling, the college has begun dressing up layoffs as program closures and surprising staff without a sense of dignity nor care in the world. Life has gotten so shaky in the last few years, and we are discovering that our leadership at NBC may not care about us. Decisions are being made in a small bubble with private information and no advanced communication. The ship is sinking, and there's only so many rafts. But it doesn't have to be that way. Every one of us cares deeply about Napa Valley College. We all want to see our institute, institution thrive and be an inspiration not only to students, but to education as a whole. We need to work together to lift our college up and into the future because what is happening now isn't working. This will require a shift in transparency, shared decision-making, and I can't believe I have to tell you this, but ethics. If we can't trust you, you need to change your board's name. And lastly, I would like to echo Dr. Tejada's um, requests in her report. I, I agree 100% with her. Thank you. Thank you very much. Classified Senate report, Danielle Alexander. Ms. Alexander, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Good, good evening, Napa Valley College community. I would like to begin by sharing some comments from the Classified Senate membership. These words were offered at Classified Senate meetings over the past six weeks and are shared with the permission of the appropriate members. We feel as if we are on mute. Our concerns are unheard. The Board of Trustees is completely out of touch with what goes on here. NVC is in this position because the Board did not evaluate the President properly. I'm very concerned about the CJTC and FKCE closing. Where will these people go and where will our future, where will our future police officers go for training? Is it Napa Valley College for the community and the people in the community? If any one of us had performed to the low standard that this board has performed, we would be fired without question 
In fact, last week, several people were fired for less than causing a multi-million dollar deficit. They did nothing but work hard each day with integrity, and now they've been fired. Since I took office two months ago, I have not talked to a single person from any constituent group that has trust in you. You should know this. To say that morale here is low is an understatement. This was, of course, made worse by your antics last week when you chose to communicate the termination of an entire college program through an all-staff email. These types of decisions, like countless others, are unconscionable. People who work here may be human resources to you, much like needed natural resources, but to us, they are people who matter. The classified Senate has some questions for the board. These are not rhetorical questions. We would actually like real answers in a tangible form. Since we cannot fire you for incompetency because you are elected, the classified professionals would like to know what this board is going to do differently from here forward to assure that people who work here, the students who go to school here, and the community that supports this school are in good hands now. How are you changing yourselves and your body to make better decisions? to listen to people who warn you to properly oversee Napa Valley College. The college is in the middle of an enormous budget deficit because of your poor management. We've heard you share that the Board of Trustees is only as good as the information that it has. You were given false reports by your staff. You didn't know what you didn't know. Fine, but the classified professionals would like you to know and would like to point out that you were warned. On more than one occasion, brave people came to your meetings and told you the budget numbers weren't right. You ignored those people. We would like to know why you chose to ignore those warnings and to believe a crook, in fact, several crooks, as you say, over these brave people. We ask you these questions. I'm reiterating them to you. What are you gonna do differently from here forward to assure this community that we are in good hands? How are you changing yourselves and your body to make better decisions? How will you give this campus community a voice in our future rather than operating as if we're bothersome resources to expel at your whim to balance your broken budget, that is your fault. What are you going to do differently from now into the future to listen to the people who share warnings with you? Please provide us with real answers to these questions. We would like to, you to reflect on the following truths. The decisions that you've made, the agreements that you've entered into, the contracts that you've signed, the budgets that you've approved without understanding them, these actions of yours have and will continue to cost human beings from our community their jobs. I sat here tonight and heard 28 positions, people that I know, that I respect, that I care for, have this reality be truth for them. This is your doing. It's very, very, very disappointing. These are loyal employee employees, classified adjunct faculty, administrators, our colleagues, all of our colleagues have and will continue to suffer. Napa as a whole and all of us who work here deserve to know what you're gonna do now, how are you gonna improve? How can we trust this? What are you gonna do differently? The people who work here, all of us, every single dean, every single person that you mentioned tonight, and all of us classified, we deserve answers from you and we deserve changed behavior from you. We certainly deserve better than this. And in asking for answers to these questions, we ask you for much less than you ask from us. That concludes my report. And this is a terrible night. Thank you, Daniel. Faculty Association report. 
Christy Iwamoto. Well, I had a whole speech planned and I kept changing it throughout the day and changing it throughout the day and then got here and it's kind of like, well, I might as well just toss the whole thing and start over again. Um, I want to concur with my colleagues' comments and I want to support Dr. Tejada and her list of requests. I mean, I just kind of want to ask, like, how did this happen? How did we get here? Why can't anyone explain anything to us? What did Ron do to us? What did Bob Parker do? Why are we left here to pick up pieces and to suffer for bad decision-making and live in a limbo? And we can't even explain really how we got here. Why are current decisions being made? Where is the transparency? Ron was terrible about transparency. He's gone now and yet those problems persist. I don't understand why decisions are being made with no real explanation. Nobody explains things to us or shows us reasons. It's made in a vacuum, no numbers to point to, not to me anyway. I'm supposed to trust this board and trust our leaders, but I'm feeling very low on trust right now because I don't understand how we got here. We're at an all-time low. These are people. These are people and this is happening to them. So, okay, there is a part of my original speech here that I'm going to give because I do want to also talk about the fact that there's been this perception that there's been no faculty layoffs. And, you know, that's thankfully been true for our full-time faculty, but it has not been true for our part-time faculty. It's not called a layoff, but they are gone. Earlier this semester, I received our unit member roster from HR, which lets me know which faculty have lost their classes. Either their classes were canceled due to low enrollment, or they were bumped from their classes because even though they were full, someone else's class didn't make it, and that's just the way it goes. This semester, by my count so far, we have lost 25 part-time faculty. And one can say, oh, well, you know, that's part-time faculty, they, they don't matter. But that's a myth we tell ourselves that all part-time faculty are here teaching for fun, that they have real jobs somewhere and this is just extra income. But as I've said before, this is often not the case. Many of our part-time faculty make a career out of stringing together teaching assignments at several colleges, driving from school to school. Losing an assignment once a semester has already started most likely means it's too late to pick up another assignment at one of their other schools. Even if they may have initially turned down a second assignment at another school in order to maintain their relationship and their seniority with us. All for nothing. 25 people had jobs here in January and they don't now. Some have been teaching for us for over a decade and now they don't. So no, there've been no faculty layoffs because that's not what they're called but we've lost loyal people and I think that needs to be acknowledged. These are people's lives that we're talking about here. And we don't get, we don't get a role in the decision-making. We, we don't get solid rationale. We just get directives handed down and we're supposed to just sit there and take it and ignore the fact that people who were standing next to us yesterday may be gone tomorrow. And I don't think that's fair. And that's my report. Thank you, Christy. If I could ask um, for any um, constituent reports that have been submitted in writing, um, it would be, I think, really appreciated if um, 
you could submit those and send those over to Catherine to, to circulate amongst the, the, the trustees and also just provide it in the record just so we have it there. I, I often go back to previous meetings and, and, and review old reports and I like to have in the record, especially, uh, you know, when there's a, a list of re requests, it's nice for us to have that in writing to reflect on instead of trying to remember um, what, you, what someone said uh, uh, a couple months ago. So thank you if you can do that. Uh, moving on to uh, uh, item 8.1, President and Cabinet Reports. Dr. Frost. Thank you, Trustee Dodd. <clears throat> I'd like to start with um, Dr. Parker. Would you like to go first tonight? And then we'll go with Oscar and uh, Jim Reeves. Uh, good evening, Board of Trustees. I'd like to acknowledge and appreciate the heartfelt comments that my colleagues have shared tonight, and in particular around the important equity work that's taking place in academic affairs. This is similarly reflected in my report. Um, I have provided additional information in my written report, and I, I don't uh, need to further elaborate on that, but I hope you find this information valuable and can answer any questions about what I've provided. Do any uh, board members have any questions or comments on, on Dr. Parker, Dr. Parker's report? Oscar. Well, good evening. Um, first of all, let me say that, uh, that the equity work is done in many ways and the event that we have scheduled for uh, April the 9th is is one of those ways. We'll present, we'll present the MLA College the second annual Viva Mariachi as festival uh, for two presentations, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. Uh, this is event an event that, that was initiated back in 2019 with, with the first annual. The second annual was scheduled for April 2020, but then COVID uh, uh, made us can cancel that event. Anyway, this event that, that's coming up, I'm asking you to purchase your tickets and if I'll possible make any donations because the funding for this event, which, which, which pays for the transportation, uh, the airfare, the lodging, the food for these three groups comes out of private donations. So I want to make certain that people don't have any, any thoughts that the district may be putting money in, in this event other than, than, the, than, than the facility. Uh, for, for the ninth, we have three great groups. One is one is is Santa Rosa. It's a twenty-seven uh, person uh, group. Uh, Mariachi Mariachi Cantares de Mi Tierra. We have one group that's from Southwestern Community College, um, where that is the first college in the world to offer a degree and certificates in mariachi music as an academic pathway. Back in two thousand nineteen, that was our uh, plan. Here is to somehow uh, infuse mariachi in the county, but, but specifically at Napa College to also work towards a certificate and or a, a degree in the future as an academic pathway for those students who are music, uh, musically inclined. Uh, the other group that will be joining us is a family group. Uh, uh, there's a family with children as well as the two parents play. And there's a couple of members that have been Grammy Award winners that are, that are composers and singers. So that's a 10 group, uh, 10, 10 member uh, group. So again, uh, I encourage you to purchase your, your tickets. Uh, 
We now have the ability to open uh, to full capacity for both events. Uh, prior to this, uh, prior to two days ago, it was only for half half a capacity based on the COVID restrictions. But now, since they've been re this, this has been lifted, we're able to uh, to open up for full capacity for both events. So please purchase your tickets and join us. The other event I want to share with you is uh, the second annual high school luncheon. Uh, this event complements the high school breakfast that many of you are very familiar with. And uh, this is the second annual that, that we've organized this event with the thought that, that the uh, breakfast uh, provides information and informs our guests from four county schools, from, from four county schools from, from, from four counties on the activities that are planned for that forthcoming spring. This, this luncheon will, will serve the same purpose, but inform our guests of the activities and highlights of our programs uh, for, for the fall, for the forthcoming fall. So uh, again, that is for Thursday, April 28th. Uh, as always, you receive the invitation to participate. It will be virtual this year, and hopefully for the following year, we will be back to, to in person. Um, the other item that I wanna share with you is that uh, you all receive or you should receive uh, an email from me, uh, which informs the, the campus that our commencement for this spring is going to be held off campus. As a result of the, of, of our, um, uh, I guess we've, we've outgrown the space that we have used for the in-person ceremonies for the last few years uh, to the point where safety uh, and crowd, crowd control has become a bit of a challenge. So the event will be held on May the 26th. Uh, from 6 uh, p.m. to 8 p.m. at the Memorial Stadium, which is adjacent to Napa High School. That's the same stadium where Napa, Vintage, and New Tech High uh, hold, hold their ceremonies. Uh, they will not uh, be charging us for the facility, uh, but uh, we will be using their, their staff and, and their equipment, uh, and uh, it's at a lesser cost than what we spend here at Napa College for our ceremonies, ceremonies for to the tune of about three to $4,000 less. Um, so you'll receive any invitations for those, uh, as well as you can uh, go online to the commencement uh, uh, web website. And lastly, I want to share that that the boardroom, the boardroom is going through an upgrade. It's it's a it's a uh, it's a reconfiguration of video and audio si systems for the boardroom. Uh, we hope to have these done. I thought they were going to be done by by tomorrow, Friday, but they will be done for certain by by Monday, the fourteenth and training will be held uh, so we can learn how to use these, these new tools and, and, and operate this, the, the system, which is more modern than we have. The equipment that's currently in the boardroom is very, very antiquated, very old, and many of you can witness, uh, can, can attest to that. Um, and so by Monday or thereabouts, we'll have a new equipment in the boardroom and a new facility uh, for the needs that we may have here at the college. And that's my report. Thank you very much. Oscar Jim Reeves. Our new Vice President of Business and Finance. Trustee Dodd, members of the board, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I have uh, begun my uh, fourth week here and uh, have been overwhelmed by the warm welcome. So I appreciate that from, uh, from my colleagues across the campus. I'll defer most of my report to the budget report in just a few minutes. I did want to take a few minutes to uh, acknowledge uh, some of the good work being done on our campus in, in business and finance. I've had an opportunity to, to meet and sit with uh, some of our key folks in our, in our business and finance area. And I'll share with you, I've been encouraged and impressed with their level of commitment and their desire 
to uh, to get things right. And so uh, I'm encouraged and, and and look forward to working very closely with them moving forward. Our facilities folks are are uh, doing uh, doing well. Um, there's some catch up going on, uh, as you may know. Our our longtime uh, director Matt Christensen has announced his retirement. So we are scrambling a bit, trying to fill his big shoes. Uh, looking forward, but uh, we have uh, we have some capable people in place. So with that, uh, I, I will I would just like to acknowledge uh, one other person. That's Doug Roberts, who probably not on the call. Uh, he doesn't have to be on the call. Uh, Doug did a terrific job of uh, aligning up and identifying challenges and issues here. He didn't do me the favor of solving all of them, but he did line them up nicely and identify them. So uh, I just wanted to appreciate him publicly. Now to further remainder of my report to the budget report. And I see Char Albaran is, is here. Char, do you have a report tonight? Yes, I'd like to provide a very brief update on a change in our SERP deadlines. The SERP deadline has been um, extended to April the 18th. Um, Board um, of Trustees, we are um, planning on having analysis ready um, before the end of the month um, of April to bring back information as to whether or not um, we would recommend moving forward with a CERT based on participation and, and um, as a result of that analysis. Um, so again, our CERT deadline has been extended to April the 18th, and we look forward to bringing additional information to you board um, at our May meeting for approval um, to enter into CERT contracts. Thank you. Thank you, and I, I do have a report tonight. Um, but first, I want to I want to thank the four folks that just presented. I I've been here two months to the day. Um, there there's simply no way I I could be doing this job without their holding me up. Um, so I, I you all really deserve a, a huge thanks from from me and and recognition. It's an incredible team. And I think that speaks to the college in general, the level of teamwork that is applied in cabinet. I, I see it elsewhere in the college. Um, I, because I'm here for the you know more specific chores, I'm in here every day, usually by seven, sometimes by six. I'm usually here until about six o'clock at night. On warm days, the, uh, the exterior door is open to the library plaza. And I've really appreciated the folks that have come into the office and said hello, told me stories. I wasn't here last year, but I'm becoming increasingly aware of, of the challenges and the pain and the, the lack of trust in the college. Um, and I, I, I haven't heard anyone want to bury that, those issues. It's, it's a question of continuous learning, and I'm two months into the journey. I have a lot to learn, but I want folks to know that it's on my mind every, every night when I go home. Uh, the police academy was an extremely difficult decision for me to make. I want to be really clear. We suspended that program. There's a, there's, there are stronger words being used, and we all need to come around to some common terminology so that so that rather than rather than in, increase the hurt and increase the fear, we can come around to some common understandings. And if I communi communicated that decision poorly, 
that's on me. I take responsibility for that. But it's a suspension. And I really want us to be able to consider the police academy in terms of suspending for a limited period of time. As someone who ran the San Francisco Police Academy for three years, I have a real strong devotion to police academies. It was very difficult for me. I've got a, a long list of things, so I'll, I'll, I'll read briefly from each one and turn in my three pages of notes uh, for, for my report. Uh, Jerry Dunlap was honored at the 24th Napa High School Hall of Fame Awards dinner just this last week. Uh, I learned just how much of a hero and a legend Jerry Dunlap is. But I think what was even, you know, for me more interesting was to see Jerry honored alongside Ira Smith, who's the sports voice of Napa Valley, and uh, and Marty James, uh, who I, and I got to sit at Marty James' table and, and meet him and his wife and uh, and learn more about the history of Napa Valley as a result. It was you know, it was kind of my introduction to the community. I was amazed at uh, the comments and, and just enthusiasm people had for their college and, frankly, how strongly they encouraged me to get the college back in the community. Um, and so that's a challenge that I'll, I'll talk more about. But I think we're all we're all uh, living a little bit of a you know, pandemic, uh, post-pandemic uh, trauma right now. And so that, that was kind of an interesting coming out party for me. Uh, enrollment has declined dramatically in the spring of uh, 2022. Uh, this is a very worrisome trend and I wanna be right up front about it at the college. We've got to turn this around. Any further declines? My concern is that the college is going to lose competitiveness for state facilities funding, for a potential bond program, or new program development, academic program development for our communities. Uh, we talk a lot about how big of a, a challenge is our enrollment. It's a big challenge because so many other things are dependent upon enrollment. So uh, I urge the college community to focus on enrollment restoration. And I wanna recognize Dr. Parker for the pioneering work she's doing in, in forming an enrollment task force that work is critical to the college's future. You know, salaries at Napa Valley College are low. I wanna say that out loud in this report tonight. I'm, I've been really amazed at how low the salaries are. There are a lot of imbalances and I've only been here two months, but my effort is going to be transparency, communication, sharing the data I get, putting it out there, and hope, hoping everyone will come around that information and talk about it in good faith and make the most benefit of that information. I would really like to start a salary study. It's something Charo and I have barely talked about, but I would like for our new president, our permanent president, to have a salary study close to ready when that person arrives so that that can be part of the, the restoration of the college in the years ahead. What Dr. Parker, Oscar, Jim Reeves, Charo, and I have been, have been really looking towards is, is a reformation that strengthens, strengthens the college, and we can't do it in one year. It's going to take several years. But the long-term goal has to be an improvement in the salaries, and we'll be talking more about that in college forum, about how do we align other resources in such a way that we can improve 
the quality of life for our community for all. Housing's moving forward. Uh, I'm really proud of the work we're doing on the housing project. Frankly, I wasn't so sure in my first six weeks here, but lately I'm seeing a lot of progress and I'll, I'll stop there and let, uh, won't, won't take any uh, the excitement away from uh, Ms. Vol's presentation here coming up. But we do have a public forum coming up later in, the, in March. Uh, I, I think we're anticipating some good news on the environmental testing. And so I think we have much to look forward to with, uh, with housing. And uh, regarding governance in the days ahead, um, I will send an all staff email with a proposal to form an interim college council. Um, I agree with some of the comments said earlier, the college needs a deliberative body where all constituency groups can collaborate, share information, take information back to their groups and deliberate and make decisions in a participatory governance setting. When you have a council of presidents that is that small, frankly, it's just very hard for that to be effective in the, in the level of disseminating information that needs to take place in a community college uh, setting. Regarding return to campus, we will send an all staff email uh, Friday morning, tomorrow morning on this, um, April 18th, Napa Valley College offices will be fully open. August 1st, fully open with all employees back on campus. So we're gonna continue that graduated approach that, approach that we've been talking about since I arrived, but we are definitely moving back to a fully open uh, campus. Staff will work with their supervisors and, uh, and we'll, we'll continue the work that's already been started there. But I, I do, that's news to the board, I know, and I wanted to make sure it, it got out in this, in this meeting. We expect the FICMAT and the ACCJC reports any day, but probably within the next week. As soon as they're here, they'll be posted, posted for all the world to see in public, um, again, our interest is transparency too. So when we get information, we share that information. There was a really good um, uh, meeting, uh, thanks to again to Dr. Parker for putting this together on Mount Veter, the Mount Veter property. Uh, I think uh, Beth Goff was there as well. And, and uh, Beth, I think it was you that made the suggestion about um, perhaps having a study session yes. on the Mount Veter property later uh, in the year, perhaps in May. Right. Uh, April or May. And I just want to bring it up to the board as a group, because these are this is the kind of thing that you all need to hear at once and have the ability to consider bring back. Um, but we, we learned some interesting things about the Mount Veter property had a fabulous presentation. And so I think the board might benefit from from a half hour study session uh, on that. I want to thank Oscar DeHaro for uh, all of the work he and his team have been doing on our graduation ceremony. This is, I, I'm, I'm really impressed and excited about the, uh, the event that they're putting together. Really happy that we've got to have an outdoor, a large outdoor vacation where students can bring all of their family to the event. And so uh, I just have to congratulate Oscar for, uh, that was not an easy lift, so thank you. Um, regarding the foundation, the foundation put together a, a, an exceptional uh, reception uh, a week ago for Bill Hardy. Uh, Michael Baldini was there. I was there. Uh, Jessica Thomason, Malcolm, and um, David Cobble 
just put together a fantastic event that brought together foundation board community members and honored a uh, a legend really in, in the college foundation. We we wouldn't have some of the multi-million dollar gifts we we do have had it not been for Bill Hardy. And so it was for me, it was a real honor to meet meet Bill and his wife. Um, I think another piece of really good news for the board is the IT upgrades that are going on. Um, I met with Oscar and Daniel Vega this earlier this week. One of the things that we are focused on, and I appreciate Oscar bringing up the boardroom upgrades, because frankly, the boardroom boardroom was not operational. Uh, and so we're looking ahead to make sure that when we can come back, it's ready for you all to come back. But along those same lines, we have to plan for the campus for everybody to come back, especially all of the students who are going to be here in the fall semester. So Oscar, Daniel, and I talked about some fiber fiber uh, cable upgrades, uh, some of the switches and routers that needed to be upgraded so that our communications. Many of our faculty were talking about systems going down in those first weeks of enrollment uh, at critical times. That's exactly what we're trying to, to come out of and improve upon by the fall semester. It, it's several hundred thousand dollars in upgrades, but I was, I was just really impressed by the enthusiasm of Daniel Vega and what his team is doing. Because when our students come back to campus, I want them to be able to not only have reliable connections, but I want them to be able to get Wi-Fi from the parking lot right out here off the quad, for example. We want them to be able to connect to Wi-Fi on the plaza. And so we're, we're already looking ahead and we'll be looking to uh, staff input for how we can make our campus more pleasant and more desirable to be on campus, especially outdoors on campus uh, in, you know, as, we, as we come out of the pandemic yeah, for the fall semester. And so these are some of the things that we're excited about that we are looking ahead about that I wanted, I wanted to share with the board. Um, regarding the extension of the SERP, we didn't have enough time in the months of January and February. I didn't have enough time in the months of January and February to make the staffing decisions that really would have been ideal. Um, so often these are really made in November and December uh, so you can move forward as a community more positively. We weren't able to do that at Napa Valley. And, and I, think, I think there's you know, obviously some unfortunate reasons why that I won't go back to. Unfortunately, the response to the SERP was less than anticipated. So as a result, today I sent a message to all staff regarding an extension of the SERP. You've heard the date now until April 18th. We simply need more time to make the right decisions. And we want to give our employees more time to consider the SERP. As soon as we have the data in on the SERP, April 18th, Immediately going forward, we'll start working with that data and making decisions so we can begin the callbacks to our administrators. And with that, I'll conclude my report. I have, I have another page on policy and procedure where I'm really just trying to get some talking points out there and give us some things to dialogue about uh, because I completely understand the, the space between us uh, in terms of the administration and the faculty. And we have, we have a big gap to bridge. I understand that. So please understand my dialogue is designed to share all that's on my mind 
and be open to, to the dialogue that comes from uh, the other groups as well so we can work forward together. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Frost. Moving on to item 8.2, which uh, has been removed from the agenda. Um, we'll then go on to uh, item 8.3, a housing update. Dr. Frost, I, I think, are, are you kicking this off right? Or, and I hear your voice, so that's good. Um, and then how well, that was going to be my question, can you? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, how long do we have, I think, budgeted for uh, this item? I had told Ms. Bowles approximately 15 minutes for the presentation and expect anywhere from five to 10 minutes for questions. Is that appropriate? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and just to let you know what, I'd uh, love to maybe have you kick off or you and Dr. Frost kick off the presentation. Um, we'll have an opportunity for a public, I think from my perspective, uh, having public comment after the presentation, um, I think would be helpful. And then uh, we'll move on to board questions after that. And we had really planned on Ann just taking it away, so I don't want to lose any. Great, and I just see, time. I just see, I, and I exactly, I just see a couple of folks uh, with their attendees uh, with their hands up. Sure. And so I just want to give. I, I think it's, I think better for the board and for for them that they have an opportunity to provide public comment after after the presentation. So just want to let them know that. Thank you. Go ahead, Ann. I'll, I'll mute. Okay, so I take it everyone can hear me. That's good. Um, thank you very much. It is uh, fairly nice to be back again with the board. It, it has been actually a little while, at least since I myself have been with all of you. So nice to see so many familiar faces and new faces. And uh, really pleased to, on behalf of Cyan, to be working with um, the existing team that's still in place, as well as the leadership of Dr. Frost and Jim Reese. So, just while we stay on here, and it's really following up on the conversations I've, I've heard and what I've listened to, and I've been with all of you, and I'm blessed to be with all of you for um, off and on for about three years now, is we've gone through a journey together for the housing. And frankly, yes, I do agree. We work right now. Cyan is at about 30 different California community colleges. I specifically even moved myself to Southern California seven years ago to focus in on uh, serving the community college market. And transparency is absolutely everything, the shared governance process, the communication process. So um, we've been engaged and not engaged throughout the process. So it's been surprising to me to hear feedback is, oh, I wasn't sure housing was happening or I didn't know and I thought, my goodness. Um, so with the, let's call it almost a reset. And that with the new leadership in place, and obviously we'll uh, be transitioning and Dr. Frost is just, I think doing an amazing job and making sure that we're being incredibly um, communicative. The team that we work with and we have been working with is absolutely so supportive of that. So it, it's just really exciting and it's great to be here at this moment. I, I've been in, working for 30 years, but I've been in campus housing for 20. And um, while we would share with the campus, if you shouldn't proceed, because we have to do that at times, we also too, I think you know us well enough that we are your objective advisor. If the demand shows, great. If it does not, it's time to either stop or consider an alternative plan. Let's get into your housing, of course, which River Trail Village, um, through participation of, I think even some people on this call, but a lot of the student boys, 
is how the whole brand and the name came up. A village brings people together, brings community together, brings your campus, your community. So it was all intended to really focus on the outcomes of the student on campus experience. If we go to the next slide. Is um, I, this probably is sharing at least the top two, at least uh, things that folks already know, but it's, it's a reminder. We're in this world every day and we hear these stories and my team hears these stories of I'm living in a tent, I'm living in a battered home. Someday, uh, maybe I'll have even my own couch because all I do is move from couch to couch. We have, an, it's expensive even for me to live here. So, and it's not changing. And up in Napa too, and even actually the COVID virus did not help the cost in your area because people moved out of San Francisco and moved more into uh, Napa is the cost of living is the third most expensive in the nation. And because of that, there's just incredible housing insecurity. 46% of students in 2018, which I was four years ago, it hasn't gotten better, reported at one given time of being um, homeless. So um, we do work all over and I've never seen it worse than the crisis we have in the state where we live. Uh, Scient aggregates their um, data. We can never share one um, school's data, but our contracts do allow us to aggregate the data. And from the last couple of years, 80%, and it is actually the exact statistic at Napa Valley, um, believe that campus housing is important for recruitment and retention. It's that persistence. It's we really want to promote student success, and that's what housing does for, for campuses. That's proven. This is a, a survey data point. This is not Ann's opinion or that of science. We go to the next slide. So as I mentioned in the beginning, there are a lot of familiar faces um, on this call, and that's, it's always so wonderful to um, be back together almost with what seems like family, and a lot of new faces. So I'm just going to go over this at a high level, of course, take any um, questions at the end or comment, it sounds like, at the end, too, is the journey started in 2017 when the college took the initiative. Um, we were not engaged at the time. And there was a decision, there was a procurement process to hire what was called a development manager and Balfour Beatty was selected. There was also a website that was launched on the Napa Valley um, College website, of course, a housing information page, which has stayed live and has been updated. And actually Dr. Frost, when he arrived, made sure too and that amongst his other team, um, that it was updated immediately too. And we actually even have more frequently asked questions because we know more too as we go along where we're at at the current state. Uh, 2018 is there was a procurement. I, somehow the college realized we should probably see what there is for demand. What are those rent tolerances? Is there demand? And we were very fortunate to be um, engaged through a public through a procurement process in late 2018. We began our work in 19 and that's where um, even myself personally I presented to the board on several occasions and we did a lot of qualitative quantitative research and uh, I'll share with you just at high level you've seen these in previous board presentations of the results and um, almost towards the end of our uh, about four month study is um, we were we were shared with by Dr. Kraft that Balfour Beatty was being replaced by the Martin Group. 
So um, I, I don't know the background of that decision or uh, who was engaged in that decision, but we were shared that that was a switch that the college was making in June. Then um, our engagement ended, which doesn't typically end, but we did end here. And Dr. Kraft and, and leadership just shared that I think the college was going to be engaged on their own. And a pre-development agreement was executed for a 90-day due diligence period in August of 19. And um, the pre-development agreement then in 2020, you reached that 90-day, and that's when the pre-development agreement was approved. And a pre-development agreement, so everyone knows, is that is the sharing of risk when you're partnering with a developer to advance the outcomes of an on-campus student residential experience. So it's a business agreement between the college and their developer. Uh, we were brought back in and we were very pleased to be back in. We can only be brought back in if we're a pretty engaged advisor, but we were brought back in more um, at a high level um, and, and, and very pleased, worked uh, closely with leadership at that time to make sure it was a scope that we could provide some meaningful advice in the lanes for which we were um, enabled to engage within. And um, gave a couple presentations to the board. We worked along with the Martin Group and the college and um, did a procurement process for the underwriter. We did a procurement process for the, for the manager. Uh, Citigroup and Graystar are both very, very well known and respected in the student housing space. They understand students, they understand the financial and the business plan, and they understand a community college environment, and it's unique. We work in both um, community colleges and four-year institutions, and, and while there are a lot of similarities, we absolutely, and so do these two firms, understand the uniqueness of, of the whole atmosphere and, and the importance, and I think it did get lost for a while, that we embrace shared governance. That's what we're about and the transparency and the openness. So it. it just feels really refreshing right now with where we are in the process, though I know, and I've, I've heard all of you, it sounds like there, you know, there's, there's been some lack of trust and whatnot on campus for, for other reasons from what I've heard this evening. Um, so the um, plans are 100% complete. They are followed the market study, which I'll share with you. And um, in 2021, we're moving along, we're finalizing a, a ground lease. We as collective we, and we we always knew the site that was selected, and I'll show you some site plans in a, in a second here. That or maybe two minutes here. There were um, it had previously been a hospital a long time ago, but it actually had some construction debris that was left on the site, and therefore the county and I, I'm not a technical environmental person. But if, um, the county actually imposed some um, pretty um, stringent, and, and I don't want to say excessive, they were just very comprehensive mitigation measures that were going to go, and that cost would most likely go on your student rent. So as of today, and actually as of yesterday at 4.30 p.m. is the timestamp that I was told, is uh, working with legal counsel since that time, and, and we're, we're keeping the project moving forward as well, that a letter did go to the county and really trying to find out a solution that creates and, and absolutely satisfies, um, hopefully satisfies the county requirements and also lets the project move forward at a, at a lesser cost 
to without compromising any quality to the site. And therefore, that keep those student rents low. That's what this is about. It's about affordability. So where we um, so we're moving forward. If we can, um, we'll see what the county says. If everything goes as we hope it will, um, then we may potentially have a groundbreaking on your campus. And I hope we get to see a lot of you at that. Hopefully, we can be in person at some point again. Um, would be more uh, June of this year. That is a projected date. We cannot say that for sure because there is we're dependent upon the county. There'd be about a two-year construction process. We would start to, um, we, Graystar mainly, to start the leasing process, open access to on-campus housing for your residents. And that would then the um, campus, or the campus, the housing would open in 2025. We'll go to the next slide. So I'm gonna go through these at a quicker clip. I just wanted to bring us kind of where we've been and, and where we are today. When we do our work, and it's very important, what is the objective of the campus housing? Higher education real estate is not profit. And I've been in commercial multifamily 20 years ago and it was all bottom line. This is about what are we looking to achieve? And I'm not gonna read these, but these are the strategic objectives that we have with leadership. They parallel a lot of the other community colleges and especially affordable quality, affordable, but also quality. It needs to be a very engaged environment for your students to achieve the outcomes that your students deserve. So the next slide. Um, I'm, I thought it very interesting and that we don't hear from a lot of other schools was that your students said, a lot of them said, we want to live on campus. We're living 45 minutes to an hour away. We could actually get a high paying job in downtown Napa but we can't because we can't afford to live there and we could take more credit hours if we could live closer and have a higher paying job. So that just was a interesting data point. Every school is so, so unique and different. Let's go to the next slide. This is a slide It was at a board presentation because uh, working alongside the Martin Group and um, the on-campus college team was engaged in the design meetings and came up with a program and, and we studied pretty extensively and compared that to, okay, are they within reason of the market study? You go to the next slide. There's an investment community, there's a partner, there's you're bringing in, somebody is going to buy into this and say, we believe in it. The investment community requires a second party objective study. We're too close to it now. So they're, they're not, um, it always, there's always one firm comes in and is the campus advisor. And then another firm comes in, a very well-qualified firm, MGT, did a study last year, and their results actually came in with even higher demand than it, even ours did, but, but a similar nature. So if you look to the bottom right, 710 to 1173 for your full-time, part-time students showed, um, and we tested the exact program that the Martin Group is doing, interest. You go to the next slide. Please, let's just go through it. Can I, I'm sorry, could, I, could, I, could, I, could I interrupt you? I'm sorry, and if trustees of do course. it, could you just go back to that, that study, please? Uh, what you, Absolutely. And can you just walk us through how this was done? I mean, this is, I, I just think it's meaningful in a sense of understanding the demand in light of the number of units that we're potentially uh, constructing here. And just so, was there another survey that was actually done to MGT? I, I just don't recall 
um, their involvement at, at all. Um, so yeah, if you could just well, kind of describe you. I the, back, the, question. the background there. Absolutely. So the study that was done about a year ago, maybe a little less than a year ago, it takes the program that the Martin Group has developed along with the campus. And it is a, another, they did some qualitative research, so some focus groups with your students, and then a um, campus-wide student survey. Gotcha. And so, that is so there was another survey. It okay. was. I just Absolutely. missed that. Okay. Thank you for sharing. No, I, please, I may not have said it, so I'm glad you asked that. So, um, and that is required, and um, and that's why we, while I know the folks at MGT, you know, we're completely removed from that study because it needs to be actually a complete verification. And the investors mainly look for this too, is okay, you said it once, we need to see somebody else say it too, that this is a financially sustainable project. Uh, Jennifer, what? Trustee Baker. Yeah, I was just wondering, is there, um, do you have the actual like questions that, this, that the students were asked? I do. I don't have them. I, I can send that absolutely as a, or have, um, you know, the college send them out as a follow-up, but yes. And just so everyone's aware on this call too, a, a year is too late. So right now, MGT, um, in fact, I have the draft study, I need to look through it, or the draft survey tonight, but um, there's always, there's going to be an update even to this survey right now. So we had a kickoff call, I think it was last Friday with MGT to gather the questions and um, I'm not sure exactly when it's gonna launch, but it's launching within the next week or two. So that'll be another verification because we lost a year with the environmental issue on your site. So we need to update the study again, but absolutely do have the whole survey that MGT put out. Thank you, Ann. Any other questions? Oh, sure. So the next slides, um, I really just walked through and, and I think some people have seen these before, but even besides just as a reminder of the quality of the housing and the site. And it is important where it's located. You're not a 24 seven campus right now. You're going to transform into a 24 seven campus. So what's that pedestrian experience? What's the safety experience? What's the access to food service? What's the access to mental health counselors? So that's why a lot of work does go in um, as to where that site should be located. Of course, there's a technical aspect to it as well, but from a student life perspective, residence life experience, um, the site was selected when we came on board. Um, it, I, I'm very pleased by the site, at least myself, and that of science opinion, where it's located for proximity, it gives students a chance to go home and they're not just living within their academic classroom, but they're still on campus. And they're also within a pedestrian friendly experience to the retail across the street as well. So the next slide. And I felt like there was one right before this, is there not? Okay, if we could just uh, stay here for one second, because as you saw from the market study, it's, and I probably didn't read all of that in depth, but 
this is not intended to serve one cohort of students. It's all, it's very much about affordability, but we need a diversity of housing units. Community colleges of, of all um, types of higher education institutions have different cohorts. It's, it's oftentimes even an older student. It's a lot of times a part-time student. So the plan really, and, and everything's about student success. I mean, there is just, that's what on-campus housing, it is not the, remember my old mentor used to say, we don't warehouse students like they did in the 60s. And that is so true. So looking at this plan is it's offering that diversity, that affordability, those different options. And the residence hall that's really more at the entrance to your campus that is more what we would think of of your traditional residence hall and a very affordable price point for your students. They all are. They're all way below market, 20% and more below um, your, your market rate housing. The middle um, building is, uh, and both the residence hall and the middle one are furnished. They're uh, units, all one rent check, includes utilities, Wi-Fi, everything. And that is an apartment style living. So it offers the students to a, a diversity of unit types. Do they want a roommate, not want a roommate? Students typically a little older want an apartment style. And then we also, you have a, a large uh, population too that has dependents. So the unfurnished apartment style building is rented by the unit. And that is really intended for students with dependents, married housing, family housing, um, to, to allow for so there's some separation here. It's a little hard on a site plan to see it. First time I heard we were going to put little kids and 18 year olds together, I about maybe lost a couple nights of sleep. And then once I saw the plan and how there's separation and, and good separation and from a security standpoint too, that we're able to now on one site, because you have enough land to embrace all the different uh, student resident cohorts within an environment that serves each uh, of their needs. And the res, and let's go down a little bit, if we can go to the next slides, because then you'll see too, I'll just show you some of the common space too. Just wanna show the exterior. Certainly um, this is HPI architecture that um, is the architects. So can't take any sign credit here whatsoever. Um, so go to the next slide. Just to show you some perspectives, as you can see, this is, you can really see the three buildings here and off to the right, of course, at least my right, is the um, the residence hall. And right where actually that pointer is right now, when it was down below, when we go to some of these interior um, images, I wanna just make sure you recognize the, the student engagement spaces, very important. The academic outcomes, we want those students out of their bedrooms. It, it's it actually COVID even expressed it even more. It is not mentally health for mentally um, strong for students to stay so isolated. So you want to really encourage them to come out and be in these gathering spaces and also have access to kitchens because those in the traditional hall uh, will not have uh, kitchens in their unit. If we go to the next slide. I won't really stay on this slide. I mean, you've seen apartment style and whatnot. So I think we can go to the next. Kind of scroll through these a bit, but this is where that pointer was initially. This is the clubhouse. This is open to all three buildings, but we wanted it in the traditional residence hall. There'll also be a, a front desk security person too that has view corridors to all three. 
you really, you want to not physically touch, of course, you want to touch those students, have those interactions with the students. So um, that's what this space is really intended to do. And that, that front door experience, there will be a live on housing director, and there will also be a full residence life program with RAs. You go to the next slide. And you can see almost through there in the windows, that's the apartment style building. So it's looking from the residence hall and there's the apartment style building. It creates that courtyard experience for those single students too. And, and we're fortunate with the nice weather in Napa to be able to embrace that outdoor space too. At least I think it's nice. I spent a lot of time in the Midwest too. So I think it's pleasant. Um, just more of the, the community kitchen. Actually the next slide I believe it is shows the kitchen even better. So it's almost a full, almost catering style kitchen. And we've really noticed a trend in the last four to five years of community kitchens. Students want to be together and prepare meals together. Even during COVID, I mean, within safe uh, practices, students wanted to have that experience together. So we really wanted to embrace this space and we had to do value engineering because it's all about keeping the rent slow, but really tried not to compromise the student engagement that would take place. We go to the next one. And just the lobby spaces, the, the flow of the students and in each building will have a similar feel to it. Just a very welcoming environment. As you can see, it's not all collegiate banners and mascots and whatnot. It, it's meant to have the students feel good about they've gone home. Um, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, so I don't need to spend much time on it, but uh, really great stories from your students. It's always such a fulfilling part. I got to actually participate in several of those sessions and and just hearing and the excitement for the housing and having a place to call home and I get to walk to campus. You know, that was just was, was really refreshing to hear the stories. So we did go through it. I remember, gosh, it's probably been three years at this point since we've talked about this slide and some names have filled out on this, but just so um, a, a public-private partnership structure and the partnership to me is you are partnering with a private developer to get your housing built. You have a long-term arrangement with a not-for-profit owner that's an administrative owner. This whole setup is set up to balance your risk and your control. There is risk in development no matter what. So we, but we're trying as much as we can in a P3 structure to mitigate it while also enabling you to have control over that resident experience. The student programming that takes place, you'll approve the budget each year, but it also takes that risk. Everything that is an expense to the project, maintenance, residence life staff, whatnot, that is all in the project budget that is financed separately and it's not separate um, financed from any college bonds. It's separated, uh, separated, that'd be interesting. It is um, monetized by the investment community. And then, as I mentioned, you have a long-term relationship with that not-for-profit owner, and therefore you can have a student-only housing community. There's a lot on this slide. I, I'm happy to answer any questions, but essentially that's the structure of a public-private partnership. We go to the next slide. So the current state, I mean, we could be on here for quite a while, but we thought we should probably go at a high level where the current state is right now. And the pre-development agreement, like I said, that's a business arrangement. 
is you have had a partner working with you, the Martin Group, since uh, July of 19 on their own nickel, frankly. But so there's, if the college changes their mind or the, um, there's something that happens, we do, um, per the pre-development agreement, uh, the Martin Group would need to be paid. That's about $4.5 million. And at, when the project closes, too, there's an expense to sign. There's legal expenses, of course, uh, for the transaction documents, and especially for the environmental. So the college, too, gets reimbursed for any expenses that we would have going forward as uh, your project manager and any expenses we've incurred to date. All of that gets paid out once the, um, the bonds are sold in the market and you now have your relationship with the not-for-profit owner. So right now where we are is about a liability of $4.5 million. Every investor community, especially for first-time campus housing, but almost for all campus housing to keep rents low, in the very early years, I mean, for early, like maybe the first 10 years, the investment community expects to see that the college is interested enough that they have put at least something at risk. It doesn't need to be a handwritten check, but if the project doesn't perform the investment community until they've proven performance over a couple of years, and there's measurements for that that are very mathematical. So right now, there are subordinated utilities. If the project doesn't perform to its projected financials, the college would be responsible right now to pay for certain utility expenses. Don't take any of these as final. We've got a changing marketplace right now, and you always do not know the final risk until you have closed the bonds. Um, going back to the environmental is um, the post-closure land use plan, and I can't go too far with all that goes into a PCLU. But essentially what that is, is that what I said earlier, is that a letter has been sent to the county that we think will be an agreed upon solution to your site um, so that development can occur, of course, on the project site. And as I mentioned, that went in yesterday afternoon. Definitive agreements are your long-term agreements. Uh, so we've been working with um, lots of attorneys, as you saw in that P3 structure. Um, and it's not at your expense, but everyone has their own attorney because there are actually a little varied interests at least. Um, Dr. Frost asked the first time, how come we have 30 people on this call? It seems kind of like a lot. And he's right. But there's just a lot of interest right now and people looking out for each other um, as these agreements come closer. You will be signing the college if the project moves forward at ground lease and a coordination agreement. There are other documents that are in play that I'm happy to get into specifics if you want. But the two, the ground lease will govern any other documents if there's any conflict in the documents or whatnot. So while we pay attention to all of them, we focus in on these two documents. And the next slide says discussion. And could you, or sorry, since we're, I know we're on this, but on this last, and you, you referenced the investment community. Do you mean the bondholders? The investment community doesn't get, is that what you mean, the bondholders? If, if That's correct. That's exactly right. Yep. Who are, who are going to be the potential bondholders? So an investment package will go out, of course, to the potential investors. And then, um, as you probably know better than I do, it turns into almost like a, a day of watching who's going who's gonna to buy first. Right. There's a certain group in the student housing community. I don't, um, since I'm not an underwriter, of course, I don't know them too well. 
myself nor to science, but you see a lot of times we do some workout strategies sometimes when a college hasn't had a, an advisor and it's typically somewhat the same names gotcha. that are in the space for the student housing. Thank you. So I have, I have a list of questions, but if it's okay with the rest of the, the trustees, I'm assuming uh, other trustees have questions too, but I'd love to provide an uh, opportunity for public comment, which might help us frame our questions too. And um, then, and, and on that discussion slide, and is, is, is that good too? Are, and are you at the end in terms of that discussion slide? That was the last slide, right? I am. Yeah. Okay, that that cool. opens it up, right? Like you said. Thank uh, perfect. You. Thank you. Just want to make sure. Um, I see one hand, there were two hands, but I see one hand, um, Gary Orton, Catherine, if you could admit him as a, a panelist, please. Mr. Orton, we're ready for you. Can you hear me? Just barely, Gary, may speak up just a, a little okay. bit more. Um, hold on a second, I'm gonna put my uh, earphones on here. Uh, Mr. President, honorable trustees, um, you're extremely fortunate to have Ann Volz back addressing you. She is a great resource. Make sure you ask lots of questions and have her back because you'll probably have more questions when you start to think about it. Have her back. Um, just to recap, in April 2019, several months after trustees Goff and Dodd were elected to the board, trustee Goff asked Ann Volz about the impacts of student housing. And of course, she went into the the necessity to have proper design to reduce the resident conflicts. And she's talked about that tonight. Um, and then he, and she also said, make sure absolutely you hit, it's all about affordable rents. I mean, quite clearly she stated that she stated that again tonight, but then trustee Goff asked about the need to determine the indirect costs of student campus housing and its impact on the college operating budget. And Ms. Voltz said in, in part, Student housing will turn your campus into a 24-7 environment. It will definitely do that. There will be impacts. I think the very first question Matt Christensen asked me was like, okay, we're going to need more police. We're going to need to get this. So absolutely, we'll definitely make sure you're informed about that cost too, close quote. Um, Trustee Dodd followed up the question. Trustee Baker was also interested in that, that area. And Trustee Dodd followed up with this question, quote, when we were talking about Trustee Goff's question and Trustee Baker's questions in terms of all those ancillary costs, is that really a question for you, the Scion group would really be addressing, or is that more a question for the developer that's going in? And really, you're talking about programming or whatnot. I, I guess I'm looking. So obviously, these are our questions we should be asking now, but are we going to get these answered, fully answered at this point? Close quote. That was Trustee Dodd. Ms. Volz responded as follows, quote, that's a little bit challenging to quantify exactly, but we can certainly, because we do with our other clients too, especially first-time housing, is give you a pretty high-level estimate, your developer, and then, and they're really all good people, but they're not going to be quite as concerned because that's on the college, what you have to pay. So that doesn't affect, and then she paused and then picked it up and said, quite frankly, that doesn't affect their world, meaning that all those indirect costs that might affect your operating, your college operating budget, you're not going to get that answer from a straight answer from the developer. That's up to you. So well, I think what this board needs to focus on, maybe it's too late. Maybe you're, you've got a four and a half million dollar uh, potential liability. 
even though it's going to put a hole in your college operating budget? I don't know. You've got to ask those questions. Here are the five questions you have to ask. Will the housing units be affordable? That is 20% or more below market rate for each type of unit that's going to be constructed. Two, will the proposed units address the varied needs and desires of this diverse campus community? Three, is the design and configuration of the proposed housing likely to promote student success? Four, has the project been evaluated for the indirect financial impacts on the college's operating budgets and are such impacts mitigated and fully reflected in the pro forma annual housing operating budgets used to evaluate project financial feasibility. And the fifth one is, will the pro forma housing operating budget as mitigated for indirect impacts be financially feasible? That is, with a net operating ratio of income over direct and indirect expenses of at least 1.2. Now, uh, uh, thank you very much, and I'll listen for your questions, and, and I will submit my statement in writing to Catherine Kittle, who has always been courteous and most responsive to all my requests, and thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Gary. Do we have any other uh, public comment, Catherine? Uh, oh, I do see, wait for me, I see another hand. Uh, Dr. Tahara, would like to speak? Hold on. Okay. Dr. Tahara, you're on mute. You're off now. That, can you hear me? I can. Okay, great. Thanks. So um, I, I have a concern, and, and maybe this is um, a concern on the obvious. We are running at a, at a deficit at the moment. And um, just to let... Ms. Voltz know that this project did not go through the shared governance process. I brought it up as a concern to Dr. Parker and uh, that's Dr. Bob Parker and Dr. Kraft. And I was told that it did not need to go through the shared governance process. What I'm hearing you say is that the, that um, the college is going to have some to take on some expenses, including the utilities, if it's if we don't meet a certain threshold, and I'm I'm just asking the board, um, are, are how how is this pro? Can you tell us how this project is not posing an existential threat to our college? Given the that we are on enhanced monitoring with ACCJC right now, and we are we tonight it, it was another uh, list uh, of of contracts that will not be renewed. What can we can you can you provide us an answer? Perhaps the college community is not seeing what you're seeing. And I, 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 for one, really want to understand what your thinking is. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dada. Catherine, do we have any other public comment? Uh, oops. No, I do not see any. I saw Christine Pruitt with her hand up a while ago. She but... was here. I believe she left. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, seeing uh, no further public comment, nothing was uh, e emailed. Catherine? 
No, I have not received any. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll close public comment on this item and, and move to, to board questions. The trustees, any uh, questions? I have a, a question about timing. Um, and if, um, you know, some of the, the timeline showed that, you know, groundbreaking possibly June subject to the regulatory <clears throat> approvals is, is that referring just to this environmental, um, issue with the County, uh, or other approvals that, I mean, uh, do we have any idea, you know, how long that might be? That is, um, it's a great question, and I wish I could give you an absolute answer, but it is dependent upon the county. But should the county accept um, the proposed um, solution for what the developer and the attorneys have told us that we could proceed? That is really the one approval except for executing the closing documents that we're waiting for. And that is um, what has really delayed us for the last six months. So as long as we get a favorable response from the county, all projections say that we should be able to have the shovel in the ground um, should we want by about June. So um, does that depend, I guess, on how long the, that approval from the, the county takes, say if it comes next week or three weeks from now, or, or if it's a month from now, is that going to push that back? It does. I, I, yes, you're exactly right. And that's why as an advisor, you always like to have definitive answers, but unfortunately, it's we are um, dependent upon their their current capacity, their responsiveness, and whatnot. And so, it's a projection. Is I guess the best way I can say, which is unfortunately the best answer I can give you right now. Okay, thank you. That just helps me understand that timeline. Any other? Trustee questions? No, no, please. No, I just, and I'm sorry, my um, dog has been feeling sick, so <laughs> I'm a little distracted with him and he's barking right now. But um, I, you know, I, I do have the question. I just want to make sure that this isn't something we're jumping into right now um, and understanding the risk that we're facing, um, you know, that's going to take away from our student services at this point, and that it's not going to put us further in the hole where we have to look at um, layoffs or anything because of the student housing, because um, that's something, you know, that if we can wait on it so that we can save that, then I would rather do that. And um, I think this is the first full uh, presentation I've seen as a, as a trustee. So, you know, I still have those questions. Um, so I, I, I don't know that they're appropriate for right now for the current, um, those currently present, but if that's something that um, I could get more information on, I'd appreciate it. All good questions, Trustee Luna. Um, and I'm gonna piggyback off of one of your, your questions too, but uh, Trustee Baldini, you have your hand raised. Yes, thank you. Trustee Dodd, I, I saw, Dr. Frost's hand go up. Uh, did he want to make a comment at this time? No. I have a, a couple, and, and, and yes, I, I have the same as uh, Trustee 
And as uh, regarding the reassurances about the financing and taking away, and given the fact that this this might help uh, enrollment and it might help with uh, 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 with the, the students and, and so on and so forth. There are some design elements, and I was just wondering, uh, for instance, we spoke about a bridge uh, cutting up uh, from the uh, north northwest uh, section over to the uh, the shopping center and theater and so on and so forth. And as far as the um, the individual units, are they all uh, designed with uh, disabled students in mind as far as so uh, uh, restrooms and and uh, so on and so forth and the uh, the exposure um, doesn't seem to be enough overhang on uh, lobbies and stuff given the south southerly exposure to all these buildings coming in from the weather and just things like that it's probably too early for this or will there be an opportunity to discuss uh, uh, these sorts of needs is my question Absolutely. Yeah. So the bridge would be a separate project. I have heard too that there, um, and I'm not frank, frankly even sure who would be leading that project, but that's not part of the student housing project. It would be wonderful if we could have that bridge. Um, so, but that is, that's definitely just isolated from here. The um, student housing is um, all designed for accessibility. Um, I'm not, I don't think, I don't know if all of the units are accessible. It certainly um, is, exceeds code, uh, but I would have to look back on the plan and whatnot and, and pull up exactly how many accessible units we have. But um, that is certainly always at the forefront of my access is always really important. Um, so ADA, of course, is included with that. As far as the overhangs and whatnot, that we would have to just definitely review with the developer. It's a great comment that um, we're certainly happy to pass along to the development team as well and, and, and the architect. And just a follow-up, is that the, the best location for the trash enclosure? So the big uh, refuse trucks have to go by all the apartments and the kids and things like that with the noise to get to the garbage. Is that the best best place for it? Well, you, um, you, uh, yeah, so um, we, we definitely spent, and I wasn't in all the design meetings, Matt uh, was uh, very much the representative, but the trash enclosure, it's, it's like a separate little road that's back there and there's a fence between that. So um, it seemed at least from, and I'm not an architect, but it, it seemed like it's the most, you don't want the walk to be too long because that's expensive. Um, but you also, too, like you say, it needs to be quiet and whatnot. The last thing a student wants to wake up to that, at, you know, they're probably getting up at 10. Um, they don't want trash at 8. I don't know what the – but anyways, it's as isolated as we thought it could be while also making sure that the walk um, for the porter is not too far. I'm certainly happy to ask the design team just to, you know, to, to take another look and evaluate and, and share that that question was asked. Thank you. Steve Baker. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm just reviewing some of my notes from a previous meeting and had um, 
had a, a follow-up question and then also was hoping I could get some clarification on some of my um, scribblings that I'm having a hard time interpreting at this point. Um, so the first one is I know that we, um, I, I believe it was uh, Robin DeCarn, oh my goodness. Archangela. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Who had applied for a, a $31 million grant that was going to go toward um, it, it, this project. We know anything about that what the status of it is or when we would know and then my other question which is again the one trying to um, decipher my scribblings I had written down and I'm hoping you know what this means <laughs> can tell us it possible 600,000 uh, K annual liability 3% each year for 10 years material commitment obligation does that make any sense to you <laughs> it does because that um yes it does and that's probably you heard that from Tedrish or my colleague i would assume so a couple things is the the grant that robert darkangelo mentioned may have been a student success grant although i'm not sure if she was referencing because i'm you might be familiar with the uh, senate bill 169 that um is two billion dollars worth of um state grants for both the community colleges and the four-year institutions. And gosh, um, I'd have to look back. We did apply for one of the grants, um, really the process. That's why I'm wondering if Robin applied for another grant because he wasn't too engaged in that process. I don't know if they're separate. I believe that um, but the, the one you're talking about is the one she had applied for. I, I, I don't quote me okay. on that, so. Okay, well, if that's the case, then, um, it's the list came out on March 1st of who the Department of Finance was recommending to the legislation. And we are on the list and actually uh, along with Jim Reeves and Dr. Frost and, and probably even Holly following up right now with the Department of Finance. Because we're on the list right now, it's we're attachment C that says we qualified, but we're not being recommended. So and they gave us some reasons why um but we're we're trying what we can because it seems that by june 1st is when the legislation at least that's what's out there will um, make the final decision don't quote me on the exact date but that's what's been in the in the bill as to who actually receives that funding now there's three rounds of funding so we're in the first round that application it really came out quickly so we had to do the grant and everyone did so you weren't alone in two weeks and they were due on october 31st and then of course we just found out on march 1st and then it seems from everything we're hearing is it's going to be on the same schedule for the next two years so there could be a chance as well if we are not able to get ourselves off of attachment c and into those that receive grants and there's a lot of factors to that grant money it's can only be used for very low income students. So we had done performance, well, we, Citibank, did performance to show um, how it would affect student rents. I mean, in a really positive way, of course, because you're frankly taking off all debt service. So that's the status right now, at least of the SB 169, if that's what Robin was referring to. And, and can I just update you were, a little um, bit more on this, Ann? Um, yes, I'll be real brief. Holly's doing really good. Holly, uh, Holly Dawson's doing really good work on this. We're in contact with both of our 
our elected senator and legislators offices, they awarded 480 million out of 500 million. So there's still 20 million on the table. We anticipate they, the legislature may award more funds. They, they awarded eight grants total. I think three of those were community colleges. We're the next community college on the list. So everything Ann said was accurate, but what I wanted to give the board was kind of our advocacy agenda because we are following up. And I say we, I mean all of us, including Ann, with those offices to try to get Napa Valley up onto that list should more money be appropriated for the program. So we're close. We're really close. Dr. Frost, I just part, and a lot of this was related to my questions, but could you elaborate a little bit more on like the amount of units and how many students we would be housing and how that impacts that piece? Is this the and I think Ann probably has better numbers on the, was it 138 beds were the lower income and, and a little over 500 beds total? Is that right? But we can adjust well, it's, depending yeah. on what, our, what funding we get too. They're all at affordable rents, um, but when you have zero debt service, you can obviously bring the rents incredibly far down. And we would have only, if we get the funding, well, you can only even for the bill, bring the rents down for those students, of course, because that money needs to be appropriated directly to um, provide affordable housing for your students. I'd have to look back on the grant and the pro formas to exactly how many are money, but it was about 20 to 25%. And we chose as a, a group and going back to making sure that there's a diversity of unit types that um, it was, we, we chose a few of each unit type in each building that would be able to provide those um, real affordable rents. I mean, you go down from something, a bed that you take in just your operating expenses, you're at a monthly rent of almost four or $500. So, so it, is that, it would is it, be a wonderful for your students. Mm -hmm. So we can reconcile the amount of beds that we have right now, obviously. Oh, here's your program. This is the program um, on the left-hand column. It is just, if we get state monies from the SB 169, your rents even get better for students. So the program doesn't change. It's just within the bed count that you see here, a certain amount of those beds could be rented at at much more even affordable rents because the debt service you'd lose 20 30 some million dollars worth of debt service so the program and the building layout doesn't change whether or not we get the sb 169 because we're at a pro forma that's still pencils but we could even bring those rents down further because you're just chopping off, frankly, to put it just in a light way, um, you're chopping off your debt service by 20 million. So hopefully that's making some sense, but the bed count stays the same no matter what. Any more questions, Trustee Everson? Uh, just what, and I don't, and I apologize if I missed it, but what is the affordable rent? right now, has that changed by 
current standards or do we? I would have to pull up again what the rents are on your pro forma. I'd say you're averaging probably around a thousand to twelve hundred a bed for a fully furnished unit. Um, it obviously varies amongst those three different, um, and I could certainly um, ask the college to provide the current rent structure. I didn't put it in this deck, but I'm pretty close at least to my range of rents that we have. That's it for me, thank you. Trust, Trustee Baker and then Trustee Rios, I see your hand raised as well. I just um, had a quick um, follow-up question on the SB69, if we, again, if we were to get it, is that it, it enable us to bring down the cost of the rents indefinitely, or is that for a short period? Because I think I, I somebody I was talking to recently said that, yeah, but that that would be for like five years. Or so, so I was I wasn't certain what that was, and then also I still had the question about the um, the the my my messy handwriting. <laughs> That's right. We didn't go back to that. Um, so uh, yes, indefinitely, because um, once you receive those state monies, they are to be allocated per the bill to provide that affordable housing uh, uh, for your students because you're you're almost buying a house without a mortgage on it. So as a result, you can bring down because you're really just that those students, all their rents need to cover operating expenses because there isn't intended to be any out-of-pocket expenses to maintain the building on behalf of the college. So um, the it would be though for the perpetuity of the life of the campus housing that the rents would be at that lower rate. They would go up each year probably by Three percent, maybe four, but that's it, just for the cost of inflation. Back to the um, handwriting that I'm sure was just certainly clean. It actually made sense to me. Is that what you're talking about there? That is that subordination of expenses, so that um, it's it's just phrased a little bit differently. But it's um, again, should the project not perform, then the college would be liable to pay that. Um, expense for those utilities. Otherwise, um, should project achieve performance um, and relative to the two market studies, it's not intended that the college is, any, is paying for any expenses directly related to the housing. Uh, per the tax exempt financing, of course, if anything is not related exactly to the housing, that is um, per the expense of the college. So additional lighting, additional health counselors, you also do the way the project financing works is once the investors have achieved their ratio and what they need, that required rate of return, and it's hitting what's called a 1.2, any other cash flows to the bottom line and is residual cash flow back to the college, So, which is discretionary funds. You could use it for scholarship to bring down rents. A lot of colleges do use it, and we did do a study of what are those expenses beyond what's directly affiliated to the project? So they can be used to cover those expenses. But in each year, because you do have less debt service, SB 169 or not, your project does pencil better. So your ground rent is really everything after you've paid all your expenses and your debt service. 
Thanks. Just and Rafael, I see your your hand up too. But so you and you, you said that you guys could put together a, a, an itemization of those indirect ancillary costs. We did, along with Matt, we did that probably two two and a half years ago. So we do have that, and certainly can resurface that document as well. Yeah, I think that would be very, for, especially for our next presentation, whether or not it's the, the next month or the month after. I think that would re, would would be really helpful um, to know. Trustee Rios, absolutely. Yeah, so um, I just want to clarify since people are asking about physical changes to potential physical changes to the design. Uh, like Trustee uh, Baldini was talking about, um, and I think uh, Jennifer, uh, Trustee Baker, and, and I'm not sure, but some, if somebody else did too. But if we're talking about possibly breaking ground in June, all our plans have been approved, right, by the state architect and, and everybody else. So all of that has been determined. And if we were to try to make changes, wouldn't that have to go back to the state architect, and then uh, then we would be delayed. Uh, and wouldn't that then possibly, I don't know the agreement, but affect our agreement with our developer? So a few things, yes. So if we change anything material to the design, you have a 100% division of state architect that goes as DSA drawings. So any material change that we make. Now we could move the where the trash is located, that's not a material change that DSA would need to. The um, overhangs, I'm not sure I'd have to ask the architect because if we are changing a structural issue with them, um, then that would have to go back to DSA and that will absolutely, you'll lose a year for sure um, by getting any extra approval. So the design you have right now has been fully approved. So you essentially have a shovel ready project and any changes that we make, there's a design fee change, of course, and there's a time change. So if we substantially changed it, um, that would be absolutely, it'd be a delay and it'd be an expense. Thank you. Thanks, Trustee Rios. Uh, and I have a few questions. Sorry, we're, we're going a, a little bit longer than anticipated here, but it's important important topic in light of the, I mean, great, wonderful, wonderful opportunity, but, you know, there is a, a lot of risk. Um, and that was kind of a, in terms of the first question, getting back to if our bondholders aren't paid, kind of what is their, the, the trigger of that to seek recourse and, and when is the earliest that that could occur? So the earliest it'll occur is when your first interest payment is due. Which is when? And that will probably... Yeah. Probably, I'd have to look, so it's a little bit different, but you're probably about six months. So you're probably, if you open in um, August, which you have to open in August in student housing, you're probably looking more about, don't quote me exactly about looking at the performa, but the first interest payment is probably around December or January. After, after um, opening. So after opening. If we stay on schedule, assuming. To, to make it a little bit, why not complicate a little bit more, but the investment community will capitalize interest for at least six months because they will want to be protected should the project open late. When the project opens on time, I can never say if because I can barely stomach that thought, but the project actually receives all that capitalized interest and that does go down to the, um, to the bottom line. Your first year is actually very 
pretty healthy on a, a balance sheet. I'm not promising that everything's going to be great because I can't control that, but that capitalized interest really does. It's a nice buffer, frankly, in that first year. And it's just a requirement of, of the tax exempt structure. But, so, um, and so that this December when those interest payments are due. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, and I get that when it's due. It's, so, so that would be so if we, the idea, and I don't, I wish I had your timeline up, but, um, so the idea is we would be open assuming everything construction goes on schedule, which I really think we need to, uh, really evaluate um, and look at that in a more detailed basis, but we, we'd open doors in August, 2024. And then first payment is due December, 2024. Uh, about, I mean, I let me, please let me go back and pull up reform at some point and make sure that that's when the first interest payment is due, but that's really, um, if that's when you're at the most, I mean, that's really saying, okay, we're not going to hit that 1.2. And if the first there's payment is funds, there's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. There are, there's a debt service reserve fund as well that, um, I, you know, I'm not a trustee or an underwriter, how the, all the money flows, but there are cash traps that um, would fund those interest payments. But of course, too, the investors are watching as well if those, you know, deplete and they need to be repay first before there'd be any cash flow, of course, to the college. But you are looking, like I said, it's going to be in like the first, it's going to be within that first six months that there's an interest payment due. And that's when it's really a pretty substantial um, check to the bondholders. And that, but that is when I guess subordination of expenses could occur that we would be, the college would be on the hook for its utilities. The subordination of expenses will occur after the first audit. So you'll, your fiscal year is July 1st through June 30th. And there will be an audit of the books to, um, to see if that subordination, I will research before the next board meeting and give you, um, if you want a, a cash flow, because I would want to just uh, double check and see how they're, they're writing the indenture just to make sure the information I'm giving you is accurate. That would be, that would be, I think, very helpful. Um, Absolutely. So in terms of, as a board, you being our, I think, what is the largest, I mean, timeline, that seems everything to me. Um, just assuming that there's a need and the need is there is captured by two different studies. So what's the biggest, the largest variables in terms of delivering the project on time and opening up August, you know, cutting ribbons, August, 2024? Uh, it'd be unforeseen. Can it be your tip? Pretty typical construction conditions, unforeseen conditions, um, weather could be a delay strikes, force majeure. Um, nothing really too unique to the student housing environment for opening up late. Um, so it's pretty much your typical development risk that you would take place for for that. There are there are liquidated damages too in the construction contract, of course. We only look at the development contract because when a P3, but should the project there and these provisions are in your ground, lease, should the pro project open late, you're still in the papers as opening late and your students are thinking, are saying, and I don't blame them, that Napa campus housing open late. From a financial standpoint is the contractor is liable 
to house those students in comparable housing. I want to say in your documents, I believe it's like comparable to a Hilton Garden Inn or just a, a extended stay hotel within a reasonable drive distance to your campus. And that it also pays for transportation to and from and any storage costs the students may have to incur. Um, it happens. It's disruptive, um, but liquidated damages should protect the college from any outlay of cash should it open late. And we think that the, I guess that the one variable, I guess you is not your expertise, but the, the, the closure from the county just seems like a very unknown variable um in, the, in those two sites so it's it'd be great to confirm that i could all, that could all be done within two years if that's if that's our timeline um and i guess the my last question is uh, is related to costs i mean it's a kind of a multi-part question is is how recently have we done estimates for the the underwriting process and you know i have as we speak mm -hmm. so we're doing that right now good question yeah Okay. Mm -hmm. Obviously, yeah, a lot of changes uh, since probably we initially did this two or three years ago with respect to construction, labor costs, interest rates, so on and so forth. So, okay. So that, and then I guess, if, if, are we going to hire, I guess, a, a third party? Uh, and I think it would be a good idea to hire a third party kind of peer reviewing those, those cost estimates in the, as part of the underwriting process? Um, typically, uh, well, typically, your you know your developer is responsible for that um, GMP that the contractor delivers. Uh, you know, we review them just from an order of magnitude, but it, it's not a bad suggestion. It had not been um, actually a good suggestion, but it's it's not that common to do peer review on this pricing. But I, with especially like with the given with the changes that are happening so quickly. Um, I know there's, you know, obviously all the, the shortages and the, the supply chain issues and whatnot, too, are driving up costs so much. So um, there's a GMP that's being developed because, of course, that will need to be in place as at financial close. Yeah. So that is um, Clark Building Group is doing that. But to have a third party um, peer review at some schools, we did it during, um, we did it a couple of times even during design process um, but so I guess the short answer is we have not hired anybody to do that peer review yeah. okay yeah, and, that and, could and, be a good consultant to bring in for that and and, and Dr. Frost and, and, and Jim I think that would be a really good idea and that's kind of a little bit of experience in doing some affordable housing projects and I haven't been involved directly with that but I think that is uh, it's a good belt and suspenders approach for a lot of you know when there is state grants the states do sometimes require those those um, third-party peer reviews um, and uh, yeah that's 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 my question or, or suggestion on that any other questions from trustees And I don't know if it's, if it's appropriate just to close out with a couple of quick comments with your permission. Please, yeah, go for it. Um, I, you know, I, we've had some really good questions, uh, comments, suggestions for for improvements to process, and and we, of course we're all learning as we go here. I think there's a couple of things that I just want to share with everyone. Um, one, you know, I'm here for the short term but I've run two colleges with on-campus housing. And so I do have some experience with that, with that 24 seven operation of a college. 
um, it is a challenge, uh, especially, you know, young adults first time away from home are a challenge. So there's nothing easy about that. I think it's really, and, and this is where we, you know, we, this is not something we'll work out tonight, but we do have a housing forum scheduled for March 24th. I think, I think we kind of have to be able to conceptualize something very new with housing. Um, I liken it to, you know, colleges talk about whether we can afford a, a nursing program or not. Very expensive programs. You're always having to purchase new technology. They, they, you have clinicals in the community. There's these unanticipated costs. But those nursing students also take anatomy and physiology. And they, they, they enrich so many other aspects of our campus life as full-time resident students uh, to a campus. I learned this as an allied health dean. The, the addition uh, of, of the full-time students to our campus life, the, our ability to do outreach and recruit and attract a diverse student population into our community these are, I think these are some of the components I'm really looking forward to dialoguing about with our community, with our students. And this first forum in March is only the first. And so I really want to encourage everyone that's in this meeting today to just think in terms of our opportunity to get together, by the way, in the same room uh, and, and, and learn about this. Um, the, the, the one other thing I want to say I think that's most important here is that this project was managed for too long out of the president's office. That's, that's done. Uh, Jim Reeves is, is now our point person on housing. Dr. Parker is his side-by-side -side, uh, leader. Uh, so they two together, Holly Dawson's on the team. Uh, Robin D'Arcangelo is, is in that same group. And so that group is now managing the project forward. And so the, the, the calls for more shared information and shared input are, are heard. And we're going to make every effort through these forums and a monthly housing outdate uh, through, through Holly and I working together on that. Uh, we'll contribute to that as well. So I wanted to let the board know that we are making some efforts towards that end. And of course, student affairs, they're already talking about how are we going to evolve uh, to support these changes? So it's exciting to hear everybody else ask the questions and start think framing the college in this new way. So thanks. I know this took a lot of time. So thank you. I thank everybody for the support. Trustee Baker, I see, I see your hand up. Yeah, and just really quickly, I, I, I remember the email went out about the forum um, and I was trying to find it earlier today. Uh, so thank you for mentioning it. But uh, what time is the forum? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. Hopefully I don't have jury duty. <laughs> I, I'll, we'll, we'll find it and send it to you. Thank uh, send you. it to the trustees. And thank you so much. Appreciate it. And appreciate you being uh, so willing to take the rapid fire questioning. Oh, thank you. Hope to see you nice soon. Nice to be with everyone. Sounds real good. Okay. We'll move on to item 9.1, curriculum changes or spring 22. This is an action item. Um, Catherine, is there any public comment? I believe, wait, we, I got lost here. We skipped an item. The item 8.4. Item oh, I don't have 8.4 in here. Oh, excuse me, CCT elections. 
Oh, yes, I see. Uh, the, I see why you don't have that in your notes. Um, if we have time with this, if you're not prepared to address this, this is uh, a ballot. Yeah, and I'll, I'll go over this really quickly. As the board recalls, uh, recall that we have nominated our our fearless uh, trustee to Luna um, uh, to the CC uh, CCT board um, for election. Among uh, she's one of thirteen candidates. Um, uh, different trustees, or uh, I think we need to have votes in by April twenty fourth. So we have an opportunity to do the vote in April. But I think just wanted to give everyone an opportunity to look at the list. And I anticipate that, or actually I don't anticipate, Trustee Luna has already told me that she started reaching out to other districts and contacts that she's made uh, in, in January um, with other um, district trustees throughout the state and reaching out to those. And I think we're going to try to rely on her in terms of recommendations of, of uh, those 13 trustees that we may or may not vote for, whether or not it's one or none. Uh, just the obviously voting for one with being a trustee to Luna, but any others in addition to that. So, um, yeah, I guess we don't need to have any action uh, on this tonight. Um, so we can we can move forward unless there's any sort of questions from the board. Seeing none, we will move to item nine point one curriculum changes. Catherine, is there any public comment for nine point one? Uh, no, I do not see any, and I haven't received any. Seeing none, well, I welcome a motion for approval. Well, lady, so move. Second. Thank you, uh, Trustee Baldini for the motion, and and uh, Baker for the second. I'll uh, call a vote. Uh, student Trustee Soto Gonzalez. Aye. Trustee Baldini. Aye. Trustee Goff. Aye. Trustee Rios. Aye. Trustee Baker? Aye. Trustee DeLuna? Aye. Trustee Iverson? Yes. And I'll vote aye as well. Um, item 10.1, approval of consent calendar. Catherine, do we have any uh, public comment on consent? Uh, no, we do not. Okay. Well, I'd welcome a motion for this as well. Baldinium of approval, events entirety. Thank second. you, Trustee Baldini and, and Trustee Rios with a second. I will call a, a roll call. Uh, student Trustee Soto Gonzalez. Aye. Trustee Baldini. Aye. Trustee Goff. Aye. Trustee Rios. Aye. Trustee Baker. Aye. Trustee DeLuna. Aye. Trustee Iverson. Aye. I, I think that was an aye. And I'll vote aye as well. Aye. Item 11.1, uh, 21-22, unrestricted general fund, um, 11 budget, uh, overview of revenues and expenditures, and any adjustments? Dr. Frost, I, am, I, am I calling, are you gonna lead this, or is this um, our, our wonderful new uh, Vice President of, of Business Services, Jim Reeves? I'm sure he's way ahead of me on this one, so let's just let Jim uh, move forward. Thank you. Dodd, uh, members of the board. This is, uh, this is a format I think you recognize. Uh, Doug Roberts uh, uh, put this together. I just want to orient you to this. This is a Fund 11 report, the Unrestricted General Fund. I know there's been some interest in the Fund 12 report. This is not a report about Fund 12, but I'd be happy to provide that at a future date. Um, 
This is uh, through June 30th of this year. So it's the annual budget unrestricted. Just to orient you, the left column is a description of the revenue and expense. The second uh, column to from the left is audited 1920, audited 2021 audited. Those are important because it gives you a reference point for uh, expenses uh, in the current year. This is a report as of the end of February. Uh, 228.21 is the reference date for expenses, actual expenses at this point last year. That's an important reference point as well. The second, excuse me, moving to the right is this year's activity through 228. The moving to the right, the September, the board approved budget, as you're aware of, in September 21, uh, a board approved budget uh, adjusted in, in, uh, in December. And the projection to year end, just a point on the projection. Projection, um, Doug put together, Doug Roberts put together uh, over five years. And uh, he, uh, he did not have a lot of confidence in where some of the classifications were going. So, so he, did a, he did a good job of estimating this, but I would say that, that the variance here that it reveals, we'll have to keep tracking uh, where we are month to month, but I think the variance may may be off a little bit just because of the the confidence in the and the data from the previous years. So let's focus on that that yellow column to the uh, on the right there. Whoever has the cursor, uh, these are the year to date actuals. Um, and coming down, you can see that our revenue, our total revenue is the first. There we go. Thank you. Total revenue is very similar to um, uh, what we. Uh, uh, a little bit more than we had last year. Uh, so we're we're on target by about $300,000 there. Moving down the column to the, our expenditures, um, you'll see that uh, our, our we're slightly above in our faculty permanent salaries over last year. However, the remainder of those expenses and salaries is below, is trending generally below where we were at this point last year. And that's reflective of of some uh, changes in personnel, um, some retirees, uh, some layoffs, et cetera. So you can see at the total salaries area, we're trending uh, uh, less than at this point last year. Now in the far right column, you'll see the variance is showing 185.070 for that, uh, for those total salaries. Again, let's keep an eye on that as we move forward. It may not be as dramatic as that uh, for the reasons I pointed out when we did that five-year average of costs in that area I, that I referenced earlier. Moving down the yellow column again, there we go, thank you. Employee benefits, a, a bump up in employee benefits likely due to an increase in salaries for, um, for faculty and staff from last year. We had an increase in, in permanent uh, costs for, for faculty last year and a commensurate increase in total benefits <laughs> last year. Uh, public employee retirement system is slightly up. From there down, um, we're looking, we're trending with the exception of unemployment insurance, we're trending in a positive direction. Unemployment insurance is obvious. These are people who are no longer with the institution or are collecting unemployment benefits. Uh, the uh, workman's comp insurance is slightly higher. Thank you. It's slightly higher. Uh, and then other employee benefits is trending a, a tad higher. 
the variance, total variance here on the far right, again, is about 71.645. Oxygen supplies, uh, we're trending uh, fairly positively. We have an increase in uh, instructional supplies and materials um, and uh, an increase an increase in other supplies there. Total books and supplies, we're trending a little bit higher than we did last year. The variance on the far right, we're trending a little bit higher as well, 42. Can you keep scrolling down? Is this Catherine? Doing yes. Her work? Thank you. Um, so uh, going back to the yellow uh, right yellow column, Catherine, mm -hmm. um, you can see uh, that we are also uh, we're trending a little bit low, low this year um, compared to last year or the left yellow column. And uh, you can see that our, our total other operating expenses are a bit higher this year, largely due to, um, let's see, looks like maintenance and repairs is a bit higher and also uh, insurance and utilities is trending a bit higher, perhaps reflective of the campus coming back to life a little bit. But I would have to dig into that a little more. So uh, our variance there is about 282.459. And uh, I would just go to the bottom right column, Catherine. There you go. It says uh, in parentheses 389.779. That is the variance. That, one more. There you go. Thank you. Increase, decrease uh, in fund balance is 389. It's the same as the, uh, the line above it, the total expenditures. So uh, uh, the difference in what we budgeted, uh, what we're keep, keep taking in and what we're spending, we're projecting right now four or five months down the road at a deficit of 389. It would drop a little less than 1% in our reserve, the very bottom right number, Catherine. But based on what I'm seeing in the February results, some of our uh, some of the changes that have been made since since uh, early this year and late last year are beginning to show up in in our expenditures. So that's good news. I, I would want to dig into this further and and perhaps uh, by the next uh, board meeting suggest an adjusted budget to reflect us more accurately where I think we'll end up in the end by the end of the year. So that is the report for February. Let me share with you a few things we've been doing in the meantime, just to give you a sense of uh, the activity that's going on. Uh, you've already heard about the suspension of the criminal justice training program. This is a reduction in our expenditures for next year in the amount of about $1.1 million in the fund 11 and about $33,000 in fund 12 for that program. We continue to review uh, expense classifications. That was certainly a problem related particularly to the 50% law. We've reclassed uh, several areas smaller, but one of the larger areas we've reclassed is $700,000 in computer leases. Um, and while that doesn't give us budget relief, it does go on the right side of the 50% um, uh, calculation. So that, that is good news. Um, with, reg uh, with resignations to date and retirements, uh, we continue to look very carefully at hires, new hires. Uh, those come to um, the cabinet for, for review, careful review and consideration how we might deliver those services if possible in other ways. Uh, and if and when those are approved, they, they're all, they all need to be signed by the president. So there is a, a fair, there is a rigorous review of those, uh, of those, uh, any additional hires. 
Um, we've adopted a practice of approving uh, those operating expenses necessary to support teaching, learning, student support, maintenance, and necessary compliance work. And that's all that to say is we're doing what we can to uh, uh, cut down uh, what I call discretionary expenses uh, and review those carefully before we authorize. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that result in, in certainly in our February postings. The CERP uh, information is not available to us today uh, because it hasn't been realized. I'll share with you that that um, the numbers anyway, and this is not to discount the people by one iota, the numbers today suggest that that um, if we were to stop today and those participants were to take advantage, that, that the college would realize about $2 million in savings. Now, remember that the $2 million is amortized over five years. So the real, the, the impact on annual budgets, uh, if we snap, took a snapshot today, is about 400000 a year. So all that to say, we still have some work to do. Uh, you, you know that we're using one-time funds to help us balance, uh, address this year's budget. And so uh, those, those numbers, uh, that, those, that, that one-time funding will not be with us forever. So we need to continue work. Uh, I don't want to uh, step, get off the gas yet. We need to be, uh, there's a sense of urgency to this need. And uh, we certainly want to work with our colleagues across the campus and with our senior, uh, with our, with our senior staff and, and developing solutions that, that sustain uh, the institution as a vital uh, um, uh, student serving institution while being uh, financially responsible. I will share with you a bit of information about ACCJC. I just heard today that they they may be taking a look at their uh, accounting guidance with respect to one-time funds and how those uh, might be treated in, in the future. And that could affect uh, certainly that the monitoring um, position we're currently under ACCJC. So um, that concludes my report for, for this evening. Again, I thank Doug Roberts. He, uh, he teed this up for me. But I think we're seeing a little progress, certainly on the work he's done and on the work that uh, our colleagues on campus have done this far. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Trustee Baker, I see you have your hand up. Yeah, uh, thank you, Mr. Reeves. Just a quick question I wanted to clarify based on your, um, your estimated uh, annual savings for if we were to proceed with the SERP as it is current, based on the current number of individuals who would be taking advantage. That, I just want to confirm that that is, that amount that you're estimating is based on us not replacing any of those individuals as well. Is that correct? That's correct, uh, Trustee Baker. There are two variables exactly to that $2 million number. Not replacing, number one. And number two, the savings in real dollars for for the people uh, who are actually retiring. So it could change in one direction or another based on that reality. But most certainly it's, it's, uh, it's not replacing those people uh, uh, for five years, those positions for five years. Any other questions? Uh, I just had a question, um, not specific about the budget i appreciate um this uh review and that you haven't been here for very long um and i appreciate your hard work in the last three weeks i um wanted to know if there's any chance I, when um 
John Tudor was the county recorder clerk, uh, the treasurer, um, sorry, the treasurer tax collector. He would go to different, uh, to the basic aid school districts and give us projections of what um, monies we would be receiving. And I was just wondering if that's something that our new um, treasurer tax collector could possibly do, whether it's just something um, not done at a board meeting, but maybe with our president, maybe it's being done. But um, that's just something that it was information that was helpful to us when we were looking at our budgets um, in a basic aid school district. And I just wonder if that's something that would be helpful at this point, too, for us. Luna, I'd be happy to ask. I know that they are scheduled for August to, uh, re to show that information. I don't know, uh, just because I haven't been here long enough to know how, how they present that information, but I do know that August is the time where they give us some realistic projections about what the, that revenue might look like. Great, thank you. And that's a good good question, Trustee Dillon. I thought that I recall Bob had mentioned that, or Doug had mentioned um, that we had built in projections though it's, we're kind of ex anticipating like a 3% increase. Is it? Yeah, yes, we are anticipating a 3% increase. Um, uh, it's early, as you well know, that was a very preliminary, all of those assumptions, and they still are uh, very preliminary, but 3% is what's projected for next year in our budgets. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, if there are no other questions, we'll, um, and Jim, thank you so much. <laughs> Don't wanna, it's really, uh, I think we're really lucky to have, have you and, and uh, Doug it, it spoke so highly of you too, so I, I know we're we're in good hands with him, and he says such wonderful things about you. Um, you know, we we feel like we're in good hands, and that's really particularly important right now. Um, so so thank you for for getting up to speed so quickly because I know it's a lot to learn in a, a little amount of time. Thank you, Trustee Dodd. I, I look forward to our continued work together. Together. So. Um, We'll move on to uh, an action item, item 12.1, and it's a consideration and adoption of a resolution to uh, reduce or eliminate classified services. Um, Catherine, do we have any public comment? No, I received none and I see no hands raised. <laughs> well, then I welcome a, a motion. Will they need move approval? Is there a I'll second? second? Thank you, Trustee Goff. Any discussion? Seeing none, I'll, I'll do a roll call. Uh, student Trustee Soto Gonzalez? Oh, wait, I have a quick question. Yes, thank you for. I was just going through and reading all this. What is this action item actually? If someone can explain that to me. Yes, good, good, good question. Um, Dr. Frost, could could you jump in here, please? And I think I would ask Charo Alvaran to help me out with this one. Thank you. So the laws around eliminating classified positions have changed. And so unlike administrative positions or classified positions are placed on the board agenda as an action item. Did okay. I answer your question? Yeah, thank you. No problem. Sure. Are there any other questions? My computer, I'm not seeing hand hand raised that well for some reason. No, um, I, I don't see any hands raised. Okay, thank you. 
Well, we have a, a motion from Trustee Baldini and a second from, from Trustee Goff. If there's no other discussion, I'll, I'll do roll call. Um, student Trustee Soto Gonzalez. Aye. Trustee Baldini. Aye. Trustee Goff. Aye. Trustee Rios. Aye. Trustee Baker. Aye. Trustee DeLuna. Aye. Trustee Iverson. Aye. And I'll vote aye as well. Um, item 12.2 is uh, information item, Napa Valley uh, Community College District initial proposal for reopeners with the Union of Classified Professionals. Is there any uh, public comment, Catherine, on this item? No, sir. I have received none and I see no hands raised. Any uh, questions or discussion from, from the board? Okay, we'll move to item 12.3. Uh, Union of Classified Professionals initial proposal for reopener. Catherine, I'll ask again. Sorry to be uh, repetitive here. Any uh, right. public comment? No, I see no public comment, and I have received none for this item. Any questions or comments from the board? Okay. Now we will move to item 14.3. One first reading of uh, the listed board policies um, before we'll have an opportunity for public comment. But um, I did uh, want to remind uh, the board that we have removed BP 7380, retiree health benefits. Um, we have also removed BP 4260, um, as I mentioned. Uh, had a very helpful uh, conversation with uh, one of the co um, the curriculum uh, co-chairs um, about about this and um, their work on um, uh, this specific BP and an AP um, at their um, next meeting. Um, so with that, we have one attendee uh, who is raising their hand uh, for public comment, and that's Lisa Yanover. And I believe actually too. And, and Lisa, we'll, we'll let you in. Catherine, if you could do that. I actually recall that there was one public comment that requested to be read into the record. So um, why don't why don't we um, bring in Elisa first and then I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll read um, the comment to the board. Okay, and we also have uh, Dr. Tahada. Okay, um, I will, I'll let uh, both uh, Ms. Hanover and Dr. Tejada, I'll go first and then I'll, I'll, I'll read the comment after. Okay, are you, am I unmuted? You I, are. I don't know how to turn off my, turn on my video either, so. We like your picture. Uh, if that'll work, I'll leave it there. Um, all right, so my name is Lisa Hanover. I'm speaking today as a former curriculum committee faculty co-chair and the current faculty member to request that you pull all of the policies listed under 14.1 from the agenda as they violate our established procedures and thus also violate Title V. At the heart of the problem is that the Board of Trustees is overstepping its authority. The Board of Trustees is responsible for having policies, however, writing or revising and implementing them are overstepping into micromanaging. According to Title V and our long established processes, the Academic Senate has been delegated the responsibility to develop and implement policies about academic and professional matters. We have an existing procedure and it's impossible to tell if any of these new or revised policies have gone through that process. 
This procedure begins with the writing or revising of policies by the Academic Senate and the appropriate Academic Senate Committee, and then proceeds through a carefully outlined transmittal process, step by step. Again, all of the policies listed here seem to have bypassed some or all of these steps. In most of these matters listed in Title V, the Academic Senate enters into mutual agreement with the Board of Trustees representatives, the Vice President of Academic Affairs, and with specific matters, particularly those to do with curriculum. The Board of Trustees relies primarily on the advice of the Academic Senate. The expectation is that the Board of Trustees will accept the policies as written and agreed to in mutual agreement from their representatives, or in the case of those that rely primarily on the judgment of the Academic Senate, the Board of Trustees is expe expected to accept the policies as written and transmitted directly to them by the Academic Senate, except in exceptional circumstances and for compelling reasons, and then will communicate any changes or objections in writing. There is no way to understand this bypassing of our existing process except as a fundamental misunderstanding, or worse, as a devaluing, dismissal, and disenfranchisement of faculty voice and faculty role. This is a clear violation of Title V and Ed Code, which seeks to ensure that the faculty have a formal and effective procedure for participating in the formation and implementation of district policies on academic and professional matters. Again, I am asking that you pull item 14.1 and allow it to go through our established procedures. Neither an unheeding interim president or fiscal crisis waives the college's obligation to comply with Title V. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Ganover. And I see um, Dr. Tahada, and then I also see um, Christy Uemoto. So um, can we uh, admit Dr. Tejada and then um, Ms. Iwamoto, Catherine? Yes, Dr. Tejada, I've, I've enabled your microphone. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, I concur with my colleague, Dr. Lisa Yenover. I implore you to remove item 4.1 from your um, action items from your agenda tonight as um, if you continue with this action, you are violating AP, BP and AP 2410, uh, Title V, Ed Code, Standards 4A1 through 7, and Standard B and C. These, um, these have not gone through the... Um, our, our process, our mutually agreed upon process, and I see it, I see the board's actions tonight and their agent's action for furthering these onto the agenda as, a, as an undermining of the academic senate and acting not in goodwill towards the faculty. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dada. And I'm bringing in Christy Uemoto. Okay. Uh, I'm also concurring with my colleagues here. I just wanted to echo. I, I realize we are supposed to have these and we should have had these all along, but they have to be done the right way. And you have your academic Senate president here telling you 
that she was not adequately consulted and they were not done the right way. It's, uh, it's akin to, in some ways, you know, I teach English. I have students who realize an essay's due the day it's due and they have an hour to do it. So they rush it through and they do it. Then they realize that they missed some things or they made mistakes in places because they didn't read the directions. These have a process. We're supposed to go through the process of those directions and we didn't do it. Your academic Senate president is telling you, you didn't do it. So therefore I just wanted to support my colleagues and echo the sentiment that this should be, uh, this should be removed. Thank you, Christine. I had seen one other hand up again, but in attendees, but I don't see any right now. So um, I, I, I'll go ahead if another hand raises. I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and read my letter, which is from Christine Pruitt, professor okay. of English. Uh, and, Trustee uh, Dodd, there is one more hand. It's Catherine Rhino. Okay, excellent. Um, let uh, Ms. Rhino in, please. Okay. Okay. Your, your microphone has been activated. Hi, um, can you guys hear me? Yes, thank you, Ms. Renner. So I just want to also echo um, what my faculty colleagues are saying and ask the board to, um, at the very least, consider removing AP and BP 4025 and AP and BP 4100. Um, I am a classified employee at the college and I serve on the curriculum committee and we would like to get these APs and BPs um, on the, you know, the next agenda. So it would be, I think, just in everyone's best interest if the board would please allow faculty to um, do their work and, and be allowed to join in the um, you know, important conversation of shared governance. They really are the experts on this stuff and um, I really want to urge the board to consider for those two BPs specifically to remove them from the agenda tonight and let faculty review this. They are the experts. Thank you. And Ms. Reiner, before you, you go on mute, you, you cited which two again? Could you just restate those, please? Yes, um, BP 4025 as well as BP 4100. Thank you. Thank you. Catherine, are there any other hands up? No. Okay, I will uh, go ahead and, and read my letter. We won't close public comments. So if there is any additional um, uh, comment that there's an opportunity to do so after I read this letter. Um, there are seven policies on the agenda for tonight identified by NVC's administra administrative procedure 2410 as subject to mutual agreement and three and three curriculum and degree or certificate related policies identified by our board policy 2510 as ones that rely primarily on the advice of the academic senate yet the versions under review tonight are not the ones that were advanced by the academic senate in september of 2020 more than one year ago documents that were blocked from moving forward by president Kraft's office without justification 
The failure of the board and their designees to follow MPC's own policies and procedure further puts our accreditation status at risk. By continuing on this path, the board shows deliberate noncompliance with standard 4A, uh, subsections 1 through 7, 4B3, 4B4, 4C1, 4C5, 4C7, 4C12, and further harms the effectiveness and integrity of the college. Leadership and governance is among the core inquiry areas identified this year by ACCJC as in need of improvement. To make matters worse, the versions of the policies you are reading into the public record tonight include language that is inconsistent with NBC's own board policies. For years, members of the Academic Senate have attempted to raise the alarm about the lack of BPs and APs going through consultation according to Title V and ACCJC Standard 4. Failure to adhere to the law and to the standards meant essentially that President Kraft lacked oversight and accountability, and he seemed to prefer it that way. I guarantee we would not be in this fiscal crisis if the Board of Trustees had insisted that President Kraft follow our approved policies and procedures that allow the Academic Senate and other constituent groups to perform their participatory governance functions. People would not be losing their livelihoods right now, losses that hurt our students and our community, bringing pain that will be felt by many of us for years to come. We are not a real estate corporation, we are a school. We have an obligation to involve students and staff in decision-making and to consult collegially with the Academic Senate to ensure we have policies and procedures that protect students from people or special interests that might abuse the financial resources of the college. Please start following your own board policy 2510 and AP 2410 which were written all in alignment with Title V and Standard Four for the health and safety of our college moving forward. Thank you, Christine Pruitt, Professor of English, Napa Valley College Academic Senate Secretary. Catherine, do we have any other public comment? Uh, no, I do not see any. And I have not received any anything else. Okay, well, we'll close um, the public comment for um, this item, and I'll leave it to the trustees for any questions. Um, Trustee Baker, I see that your hand is up. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, um, well, first off, given the number of comments and also specifically who we're hearing from, who are the people that we should be listening to, I'm, I would love to hear some response to this. And I'm also just curious um, why if there's a reason why we're not moving forward with the versions of these BPs that were, that did go through the academic Senate and reported to the president's office um, back um, however long ago it was. Thank you, Trustee Baker. Is that something you want me to respond to? Yes, please, Dr. Frost. I also had a question about that. Um, I think I can't remember the name. Um, I think the third speaker said BP 4025 and BP 4100, but it looks like on the on the list that these were proposed by the, the Academic Senate. So I think I'm confused about that note. So if you could explain that real quick, that would be great. Well, first of all, each one of these has its own history of either being developed in one area and then shared with another, sent back. And so I can't really make any blanket statements about all of them. 
Some of them were developed by the Senate, brought to the President's Council, uh, edited, sent back. So some of these have years of history. Others of them have gone all the way through and were just never approved by the President's office. And so there's some things that we definitely can agree on regarding these, these policies. Let me just make a couple of really basic statements here. Board policy is the board's purview. We always seek input into policy. Faculty have expertise in academic and professional matters. We certainly want to consult and get their input. As, as I think one of the letters said, the advice of the Senate, that's, that's critical. We're at a point where we have policies and many, 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 many procedures that have been in this swirl for a long time. On that point, we agree. I haven't been to a college with, with this kind of uh, just swirl of policy and procedure and, frankly, a, a contested arrangement in terms of there really doesn't seem to be agreement over whose responsibility this is. And BP 2410 and AP 2410 show that very clearly. I'm not looking at the documents, but from what I remember, BP 2410 very clearly assigns the role of uh, procedure development and uh, approval and posting to the superintendent president. Of course, that's always done with consultation in California. AP 2410 is very different. And so I will agree with my colleagues in the faculty that we've got to take a look at that. Because our own process, frankly, is, is confusing. And that's because it was, it was reviewed over different periods of time and not analyzed and assessed and realigned so that everything matches. That's, that is an internal process, uh, process problem. That said, in my, in my recollection, almost every single one of these was accepted either as is with perhaps one paragraph striked, stricken, very little revision. And we're at the beginning of a 30-day review process, if I, if I understood correctly, which I thought our, our process allowed in procedure. So in trying to meet the requests of the ACCJC, I think we're on track in terms of trying to move these through. It's not my place to tell the board whether moving faster or slower is a good idea, but I certainly think the ACCJC weighed in on it when they visited us, weighed in on it with the questions they asked, and are trying to tell us that we need to speed up our process. And I think the last thing I would, I would just add here is that, you know, it's, I think it's okay for us to disagree on whose job it is to develop policy and procedure you know, in, in the higher education, it's very simple. You know, our faculty are experts in curriculum. We don't question their judgment on curriculum. But we hire administrators to be experts on policy. And that's why policy is generally developed by administrators in consultation, always in consultation with the constituency groups. And California has a very special 10 plus one area, which for good reason, supports additional faculty input uh, by, by depending on which of those 
10 or plus one you're talking about. Curriculum enjoys a level of primacy that we give special uh, deference uh, to the faculty on. So, so that distinction between developing the responsibility for coordinating the approval thereof is very different from the collegial consultation process that, that uh, makes sure there is input and value added through the addition of the constituency groups. Somehow as a college, we've got to find a way to get beyond these stopping points in, in our policy and procedure uh, development. And I, I'm not there yet, but that's why I added my page of, of uh, bullet points to my report tonight is because I wanna be very open about my thinking about this and why the president's office is trying to move forward. Our time is too valuable to spend it on writing policy and procedure. When we subscribe, to a, a CCLC uh, subscription service that provides them for us. And they're, the, they're the, the standard for the state. And we all make minor modifications, but the 72, is it? Community college districts in the state all subscribe to the service, all use the service. And so you see a general uh, commonality especially across board policy in the state of California. So somehow we've got to find a way to, I found, by the way, and I wanna say that I found the Senate's work generally mirrored and was good work. But, but the president's always going to represent the board in policy development and make sure that those policies don't uh, conflict in any way with either the league templates or best represent the board's interests in that. And I think they do, by the way. I think these policies do. So I'm, I'm comfortable with, with a level of disagreement. I'm okay with it, but I certainly think it's important to assert that I think these are in good position for a 30-day review, for the Senate to provide their input, and for the board to move forward. That said, I'll be perfectly comfortable if the board wants to you know, go from 30 days to 60 days. Either way, it's, it's the board's purview to approve policy. So I think uh, the one final closing comment I would make is the board invited uh, Eileen O'Hare Anderson to your January board meeting for a specific reason. It was to get some specifics on uh, policy, the role of policy and procedure and the process of developing policy and procedure. Um, there was a 2020 legal opinion that was very clear on this just two years ago, that the superintendent president shall establish procedures. Um, right now, we have proposals that change how the board delegates its own authority. Um, so I think I think the I just want to make sure it's my job, I guess, to make sure the board's aware of that, and we need to be very careful about what policy we are approving and not. So I, I've said enough there. I hope I hope that amplifies at least the, the dialogue a little bit tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Frost. Uh, Trustee Goff. Um, yeah, I, I just read 2410 again. I have it in front of me. And, and, and again, board policy belongs to the board of trustees. And and while we want to, um, you know, listen to again, just like Dr. Frost said, our our faculty experts, this is our preview. And and you know, 
the right-hand column is embarrassing, legally advised, legally required, and we don't have them. You know, there's there's a lot that we um, were beat up about this evening earlier. This is an area that we need to to say, you know, this is ours. We got to get this right because while there's consultation, the board drives board policy. That's why it's called board policy. So I think we need to move forward. I think 30 days should be more than enough. And I think we need to set a precedent that we need to get our house in order. You know, everybody's complaining that we're out of touch, that we're not being responsible. To me, this is the easy stuff, right? Get our wording. We have the um, subscription. We know what wording we need. We're open to consultation, but let's get these done and in place so we can move forward. This is something we can do, and I think we should do it. That's my two cents. Thank you, Trustee Goff. Any other questions or comments from the board? So I think I, Trustee Goff, I think she summed it up very well. Trustee Rios, thank you, thank you, Trustee Iverson. Yeah, um, I I'm in agreement too. Again, today we're not we're not actually adopting these. Um, this is our first reading on these, and, and I tend to agree with what's just been said. We, you know, I've been hearing tonight that it sounded like we actually don't have anything to do with this, that, that it's supposed to be written by other constituencies and we're supposed to accept it. Uh, so that leaves us nothing to do. That, that just is not right. Um, this is one of the only direct things that we are responsible for. And I think we need to take that responsibility and, you know, move these things forward, give the constituencies their opportunity to comment and, and uh, advise us uh, on those in the 30 days. And then we look at them and, and we continue forward uh, after having received that. But um, I agree. I think we, we need to move these things. We, we need to start getting not just this, but everything else, of course, that everyone spoke about tonight in order. Uh, but uh, I, I agree. Trustee Baker? Actually, I think Trustee Deluna, you had your hand up first. Sorry, sorry, Trustee Baker. Um, no, I just, I, you know, I agree with what you've said about um, Board Policy 2410, but there is also Board Policy 2510, which um, was also referenced, and it does state that we... Um, We'll work with you know our our partners to come up with these uh, board policies and APs. And I'm I'm reading it right now. I'm not completely familiar with it um, to heart, but you know it does state the curriculum, degree, and certificate requirements, grading policy. So this is something that we had um, at some point agreed to. I don't know when this was adopted. Uh, it looks like 2019. It was revised. Um, so. What I'm wondering is, you know, is there and and I, I, you know, I think we we can listen to both sides and agree that, you know, we, we're kind of at a loss, but we're also not at a loss. I'm sorry, you know, they're differing opinions, but we and we also have to get this done. You know, is there if we if we um, elongate or prolong the the next reading to sixty days, is there a chance we could have? more consultation, we could have um, maybe somebody else come in and, and give us 
the actual policy and what we need to be following from a third party. Um, and I'm not questioning Dr. Tejada. I'm not questioning anybody that spoke today. I'm not questioning the authority and, and what everybody have sta- has stated and definitely not questioning, you know, anything that anybody has stated today. I just want us all to be on the same page and get to a point where we can agree that these are of the utmost importance to have. Um, we have failed um, for too long to have these in place. And we have to get to a point where where we can um, all agree to disagree, all agree to move forward, but we need to, to get these in place. And I guess um, I just, again, if, if 4025 based on BP 2510, and uh, if BP 4025 and BP 4100 were not proposed by the Academic Senate, that is something that I could see that we had agreed to work with the Academic Senate on. And if they were not proposed, then I think we could pull those. But we really need to get this moving. Um, so if it, there's no action for today. It's the first reading. And, you know, I, I, I just really want to get the ball rolling and, and get these in place as soon as possible. Um, but I also want to make sure that we all work together on this. Right. Thank you, Trustee Luna. Trustee Baker? Yeah, I just a couple quick follow-up comments. First, the, like the um, I like Trustee DeLuna's um, third-party recommendation, but technically, I mean that's what the CCCLC uh, templates are. They're kind of a third-party recommendation, and what I'm wondering is, um, I'm looking at the uh, the forty twenty-five one right now, and if you, and usually when we look at these things, and it's like you know, here's the old version, here's the new version. There's a few things that are different, but this is like a totally different animal, and I think this kind of shows, you know, because this one, the one that it's replacing, is really into the weeds and into minutia, which isn't what policy is supposed to be and what's being proposed is much more of a policy level document so but another thing that I, we've seen in the past when we've seen these when we were using the templates is they we would see here's the recommended recommended language and then here's what we put what we you know what we may have tweaked or whatever so i think you know when it comes back for a second reading it would be helpful to have that information so we can see you just went on on mute, Trusty Baker. You said when when it comes back for second. When it comes reading. back for second reading, I think it would be helpful to have the language from the CCCLC um, suggested language so that we could see how or if um, what we're adopting differs from what is in the templates. We used to have that, and we've had that in previous ones. But right here, all we have is the, here's what we have now, and here's what we're replacing it with. So to, it would be helpful, I think, to have, unless, all right, now Catherine's gonna come up and show and prove that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, okay. I don't have to do this, but. Uh... Oh, go ahead, Catherine. That's... Just go for it. Well, in cases where, all you see is red underlined that's that's a brand new document we based mm-hmm. these on the cclc template certain things might have been changed like the the title of a person who would um so here you know we inserted superintendent president um so this is basically the cclc template okay so it's so there aren't any 
So yeah, that's that's a brand new document. Okay. We okay. don't have it in place. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted I just wanted to you know because again we had had that in the past where but maybe if it's just that there aren't any real differences between what's proposed mm -hmm. versus what we're actually looking at. at the yeah, moment. and I'm happy to provide those. Um, I can add them here. to this item and and in the next day or so, and you can then compare over the next month. Everybody can review them, compare them against. Thank you, Catherine. That, that, that'd be very helpful. Dr. Frost? Yeah, th this is a good time. Sorry for me to jump back, jump back in. Um, what Catherine, the, the example Catherine gave, and, and I appreciate her being so able to do that so quickly, but imagine if we have to do that for 12 to 15 items, you know, in a, in a board meeting now, and I can post procedures, of course, without, without this, but there's a couple of recommendations I would make here. And, and because Trustee DeLuna and Baker's comments are, are very appropriate at this time. Here's, here's the deal. Policies, they're, they're not set in stone once passed. I've committed in writing, I've committed verbally, and I, I think it's important to say in this meeting for the board to commit that collegial consultation is ongoing. You know, we're going to establish a four-year cycle. Actually, it's in our procedures that you have a four-year review cycle. You just haven't followed it before. But we're, we've, we're developing a timeline to make sure that's followed so these will get regular review. But even then, the president's office should be willing to review outside of that cycle so that the academic Senate can be responsive either to legal changes, changes in the environment, uh, changes in our student population, and we should be open to, to listening to, to that. So my point is policy and procedure are adaptive. They're not one and done, and we, and we close the books and refuse to look at them again with our faculty colleagues. Quite the opposite. That, that needs to be clear uh, to, to the board. I've committed to being an open, my office will be open door. I'll be ready to meet and, and, and consider and discuss these with my faculty colleagues. One thing I want to do that I think is very different from my predecessor, I want to identify chapter leads so that in the case of chapter four, for example, academic affairs, Dr. Parker would be the lead on that. We've already talked about it. I think it's necessary just in the same way that we're moving housing into a more active management mode through Jim Reeves. I want to make sure that the vice president of student affairs, vice president of academic affairs, vice president of business and finance, uh, Charo Albaran, that, they, that they're the coordinating the updates so that the president's office is reviewing them and doing the consultations with the academic senate as as we need to but the work is manageable and drives forward so that's that's a that's kind of a management piece at that same level whether we do it while i'm here or with your permanent president i really think you should consider a policy committee of the board the other colleges i've worked at we had you know three trustees Sometimes only sometimes two would work with the president. Why? So that Trustee Baker's questions would be answered by the that committee before it got to the board meeting, and it would it would make your board meetings go a little more reliably, and you know you wouldn't have to open up all of these documents in in, in advance. And that board committee 
at the final point of consultation, especially in a matter of the 10 plus one, um, would have the ability to consider that and weigh those issues with uh, either the president or faculty, depending on how you want to set it up, by the way. I want to be careful to not dream too far you know, in, in, into reality here. That's not, that's not my purview. This is a board committee. Trustee DeLuna's comment about an external service. Well, we had Eileen O'Hara Anderson come in in January. I've already talked with Dr. Parker, and, and I think Dr. Parker has, has visited with some of our faculty colleagues about the idea of bringing in the, the consultation process with the state academic senate and the state league representative. They actually partner, and you know, this is they're actually partner organizations in policy and procedure. That's how we need what we need to develop with our faculty colleagues is that level of partnership. They will come to Napa Valley College. They'll do a consultation type of workshop, train us, but then they'll also do a more uh, focused study of where we are in this, in this place and time, what the administrators see the issues as, what the faculty see the issues as, what the students and classified uh, groups see the issues as, and they'll consult. And I don't know if they provide so much a mediation service, but it is, it's a teaching and learning process that we go through. So I'm in agreement with, with Trustee DeLuna on that. The question is, when can we do that? When can we get them here? And how do we time that in with our, with our uh, uh, progress in, in the months ahead? So I want to be very constructive about what we do, no matter what, uh, with our constituency groups. And those are some of the first steps I would take. Thanks, Dr. Frost. Trustee DeLuna, you have your hand up. Oh, sorry. I think that was from before, but um, I, I, that's exactly what I would like to do if we could, uh, Dr. Frost. And um, also, so what are the requirements at this point? So we're at first reading in 30 days, we have second reading and then what happens? I'm sorry. Do you want me to respond to that? No. And then like, I, so you said, you had said also, I'm sorry. You had also said that we could um, delay that for sixty days instead of thirty. These are. I'm board just wondering, policies. like, how how can we? Yeah. You get to decide. So okay. if you if you uh, approve these for for a first reading tonight, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, Chair Dodd, um, you're if you approve these as a first reading, they have a thirty day review period. During that thirty day review period, um, faculty can huddle. Faculty can huddle with me. We can discuss language. And then at the second reading, we can either come back and say, we agree, or we can come back and say, we don't agree, but here's why we don't agree. And then the board would have the ability to either vote, vote to extend, um, or table the matter. I mean, those are the three things I can think of anyway, off the top of my head. And if we, um, depending, on, depending on where the issues are in the 10 plus one, would trigger what level of either agreement is needed or what level of response to the academic Senate is needed should the board decide to go forward. And I would, I would work with that, with that language, depending on what language, because there is language that frankly is entirely outside of the 10 plus one that the faculty may view still as a 10 plus one issue because of the, the, the procedure itself. And we, have to, we would have to discuss that 
So I'm getting into the weeds in terms of how difficult it, it, would, it, it is to answer that question here tonight. But the board always has the ability to set, set the timeline and set the end goal for individual policies or groups of policies. Frankly, we understood all of these were very non-controversial had, had had review or were straight out of the template. Uh, or I think in the case of honorary degrees, Baldini only asked for that about five years ago. Um, and it was high time the board wanted them to come to their attention. And so I saw these as a mix that we could move forward on sooner rather than later. I think the board has to make the call in the end because they are board policies. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Brock. And that, that's right. I'm not, and I'm not aware of any sort of um, you know that deadline in terms of the second rate. I think that's just been the the common practice of the board is that you know we do it on first rate and then immediately in the second rating we the, the second uh, sorry getting late here the meeting following that that first reading is that we'll we'll redo it in the second reading um, as opposed to kind of taking a month off. Um, but it, it's the a rule procedure. That says, that says, 30 days. I don't think it says anything in terms of days. Um, so, but you can always extend it. You, you have that ability. Right. By, by right. procedure. Right. As we've done for field trips, which is coming up. Um, so where I think is the, the, the board at uh, right now. And I guess we don't need a motion, um, but. Are there any more hands up or. There are no Sorry. other board members' uh, hands up, no. Um, I guess it's just a first reading. Um, I'm certainly open to the idea, and I guess we don't need to make a decision. It's not an action item about maybe doing 60 days just to provide maybe some more opportunity um, to do that. But um, I guess well, this is... Um, can I suggest, I mean, in the past, there have been policies that we have come back on for the second reading, and we did not adopt and pushed them off for more work. Okay. So I would suggest we, we adopt the first reading and see if um, Dr. Frost and, you know, the constituents, uh, you know, if they have discussion and, and dialogue on these and when they come back if, where we are in agreement or disagreement, and maybe some will be adopted at the second reading and there might be some that we decide to push on further. Right. We could do that. Right. I, I, I agree that's... with Trustee Rios, and I think we covered this pretty well too. Yeah, you're right. It's just the first reading. There's no, there's no action needed. Dr. Frost, you have your hand up. I think. I mean, this is just a, a first reading, but welcome. I, I, I just want to conclude with: I want the board to know that you can always direct me to bring any board policy straight to your attention. And that's 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 what my that's what part one of my jobs, one of my duties is as superintendent president. So if there is, for example, an honorary degree and you want that looked at and brought to the board on the agenda, that's part of my job. So so please don't ever feel like you need to wait for these things to come to you through through any particular means. OK, thanks. I appreciate all the airtime. Yeah. Thanks. No, and, and, and trustee Rios, that sounds good. I'll just make one comment, I think, in terms of where the one piece that gives me a little bit of um, heartburn 
is that the, our administrative procedures and policies have this basically this flow chart of how everything, all the board policies are are, are, are you know, supposed to be moved forward. Obviously, that does not work at all. I mean, the system is just it's just a bureaucratic nightmare, um, which is why I think this we've haven't had many very many policies get through. I, obviously, there's other reasons for that too, which have been been mentioned earlier, but. Um, but then it's that complaint that 2410 on the board policy, which basically I think as trustee Goff alluded to is basically gives, gives the board your totally discretion with respect to it's, it's board policies. Um, it's, it's really tough in light of, I think, in all of these internal inconsistencies, um, uh, within the, the BPs and the APs. Um, but it's, it is so clear that this, the system is broken. And I think it really is, um, maybe something to kind of dive into further while um, Dr. Frost, you're still here on kind of potential ways that we can revise the system, you know, through the collegial consultation process and just, and I, I heavy emphasis on collegial, let's just, let's, let's try to let's put everything aside and let's just try to find a way to make this work better. Um, I just it also maybe Catherine can send out that flow chart. I don't know if any other trustees have, have looked at it, but it calls for first reading, second reading circulations. It just, it's just, it's a lot. It's just a lot. Um, and I don't think uh, it's needed or maybe there can be some overlap. It just, it seems there's a lot of duplicity in there. Um, in any case, I'm, I'm rambling on, but um, if there's no other uh, comments or, or questions, <laughs> Dr. Frost, you have your hand up, but I'm assuming you you said that. Okay. Okay, then we'll move on to uh, item 14.2, the second reading of, of board policy, um, 4,300 field trips. And I'm a little bit confused here in terms of the what is the, the the recommended action for the board to take on this? Is it keeping the board the the Dr. Frost or or, or Catherine? Are we keeping this? I, I see we have five documents listed on um, uh, posted on our board doc system. And I'm okay. just trying to. I'm just so I'll walk you through. There's a, a this is the policy and procedure service template. And here's what it looks like. And there's a, a note that doesn't belong in the text of the document. So it's these three paragraphs is the template. And then I will open for you our current document, which is right here. This was adopted back in. I guess 65, it was last revised in 2012. It's slightly different. Um, you'd have to lay them out side by side. And then we have a proposed changes by the Academic Senate document. And that is here. So they're removing this paragraph, adding this paragraph making these changes to the language, adding this paragraph and removing those. Um, and then can we talk about the, the rationale for, I mean, I guess, I believe it's the recommendation of the president's office that we just keep the policy as is. And can we just understand and explain to us the, the, the rationale for that? And then after that, we can uh, take public comment. Dr. Frost, do you want to 
take that right here. Um, they're designating field trips as a curricular activity, which puts it under academic and professional matters. Um, I think there's a concern there that there are lots of field, different types of field trips on campus. I don't know that. Yeah, and Catherine, I, let, let, I think it's better that I, I do this. Yeah, okay, go my ahead. logic, she's, she's actually saying what I said, but I, I don't really want Catherine to be in a position anymore of having to. Understood. Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. I'm, I'm being protective there, but you know, this is my responsibility, so I got to own this. I mean, frankly, the there are so many different types of field trips that occur to, to designate them automatically as a curricular activity, basically reassigns them to, to one division, when actually there are many different types of field trips. And while they all may involve learning, they may not be a curricular activity. Um, I, would, I would invite language specific to curricular activities and add that. So, so that was an issue right there. Um, at the bottom, the, uh, the red uh, sentence, I would never add that to a procedure uh, for, for multiple reasons. If a curricular activity, you know, is, re is anything associated with the language within a, a curricular activity, I would absolutely ask the faculty for input, their expertise. And pretty much I was a curriculum committee chair myself for four years. Um, I, would, I would want that input into that section. But that, but that section uh, does not grant the uh, the ability to develop the entire procedure. So when you insert language at the bottom, shall reach mutual agreement with the academic senate to develop administrative procedures. That is a perfect example of where that language is actually the president's purview. It's the president's purview to develop policy to develop procedure. Um, that's, I have a background in policy. And so, so I would not insert language like that, that basically gives the authority to develop policy to another agent. Okay. So I, I would not have that language anywhere in procedure. It's in title five uh, where, where it's, where it's described amply. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll, we'll provide the opportunity for public comment. I see one hand raised, Dr. Tejada. Okay, I have enabled your microphone, Dr. Tejada. I just want to state for the record that my hand has been up for quite a while. I'm going to say it this way with this one because this one actually went through our process. I want to be very clear that absolutely the board has purview over policy. There's no question about that. No one is questioning that, okay? What we are saying is, as it states in Standard 4, and as it states in AB 1725, okay, that the governance roles are defined in policy and are designed to facilitate decisions that support student learning programs and services and improve institutional effectiveness while acknowledging the designated responsibilities of the governing board and the chief executive officer through established governance structures, 
processes, and practices, the governing board, administrators, faculty, staff, and students work together for the good of the institution. And let me just say to you that this policy was a, went through 2410 and was approved by Council of Presidents. That means that it went through the process. Everyone had an opportunity, all of the, the leaders had an opportunity to work to look at it, to, to um, you know, a- ask questions. And then it was put through the transmittal process where the constituent groups further looked at it and came back and it was moved forward. Uh, it, it was moved forward to the president's office where it stopped and now you're seeing it. Um, we in, in the academic Senate, recognizing that there was recommendations from the ACCJC from our previous visit, um, recommendations 10 and 11, um, we were concerned and we actually were were trying to collaborate with the president's office. It was the president's office, Dr. Kraft himself, who, how shall I, who, who, really vacated any responsibility of that office, delegated it, and there were all kinds of misinterpretations and misunderstandings. Our process works well, and it allows for the broadest sense of collaboration. What, it, what, what we don't want to happen is what, what brought us to the brink, what has brought us to the brink of financial ruin is that an administrator in a silo writes the policy and then pr- puts it out for review. And when it is actually reviewed and we give input, it, that input is either challenged or ignored. Administrators are not supposed to be working in isolation of the entire campus community. And we do have academic Senate has 10 plus one. Classified Senate has nine plus one. Students have nine plus one. So there's ed code language. I, I would challenge I would challenge some of Dr. Frost's interpretation of what happened. I lived through the experience. I've been here. I've been here for for 28 years, and I I know that our processes work, and I know that our processes are also subject to administrative. Um, 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 in, in, I've lo- I, I just uh, uh, administ- uh, administrative ill will, and purposefully stopping the process and delaying the process, knowing that we had an accreditation visit. As a matter of fact, the faculty got together in the summer of 2020, and we put together 15 of these to be reviewed by the campus through our process. Our process works well. It is the lack of will and the power mongering of administration, particularly happening in the office of the president, that actually stopped this process. I am urging you. I am urging you to follow the mutually agreed upon process. It works well and it will help to reestablish trust and collegiality and uh, um, in the board and in the president. And, um, and I also want to say one thing. We are reproducing the same mistake that we did with Kraft, where we gave an interim president the power to make permanent changes that we then had to go back and fix we have been brought to the brink 
of financial ruin by these practices. I would urge us to be temperate in how we use this interim president. And I am more than happy. I've, as a matter of fact, I will say this. A technical visit to the campus can only be initiated by the academic Senate president, number one. And number two, a technical visit will bring the president of the CCLC and the president of the state academic Senate. You all have a gross misinformation about the role of the academic Senate, the role of shared governance and effective participatory governance. And we are suffering financially as a result of your lack of understanding. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tejada. Do we have any other public comment, Catherine? Uh, no, I, I don't see any. I see two hands raised. Right, that's Pam, but I just want to make sure that we don't have any public comment anymore because I'm going to close public comment. And once, oh, okay. we, once we close public comment, it, it's we're, it's closed. Yes, okay. Uh, I see no more public comment. Okay, thank you very much. At this time, we'll close public comment. Uh, Trustee Goff, you've, uh, Dr. Frost, why don't you, you go ahead and then Trustee Goff, I'm sorry you've had your hand nope, up. Nope, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I think it's just important to say a couple of things. I, I don't know how to, I, I found trustees, myself and others say uh, in many ways, agreeing with some of the things our faculty colleagues are describing. Uh, I, I think we need to look at where we agree and build from there. Uh, we really have to start a process of building because a lot of the, the debate really seems to be tearing people down. And, and, and I, don't, I don't do well in that kind of environment. I don't feel good about it at the end of the day. I, I really want our work to be productive together. I, I can't, I, I don't know where I went wrong with past history because I wasn't here. So let me, let me move away from that. It's not my place to really say what happened or what didn't happen. I, I do think, though, that people have commented that policy and procedure were stalled in multiple venues. And I've been very, very clear that one of those venues was the president's office. There is no doubt about that. And, and I'm trying to take responsibility for for breaking that logjam and moving forward. Um, there, there is a point where we do have to find ways to move policy forward. I have been very uh, actively looking at legal input and making sure that I'm not exaggerating the bounds of policy development. You are. I you are. You like of pretty good. I feel like I'm in pretty good. Uh, I've gotten pretty good counsel uh, in terms of the, the steps I'm trying to make the move to move the college forward. I. I would not just do this, uh, even based on my own experience at other colleges. So in consulting with legal counsel and, and being told, you're, you, Rob, no, that's, that's actually a good move. You're, you're doing the right thing. I felt like I was on safe ground. And I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it's being so, you know, so quickly uh, described as, as, as flawed. And, and I apologize if that's the wrong way of describing it, but that's the way I'm, I am uh, interpreting it. So I think we have to own that the process is stalled by multiple parties. 
I'm willing to take responsibility for installing at the president's office and trying to be one of the people that continue that moving forward. There's a point where when it when it goes back to constituency groups and the review extends and before you know it, you're into summer. If there's one thing folks have told me, it's that as administrations change, regard our offices change. That's a little better way of putting it. That it slows things back and we start over again each year. And I, I don't have an answer for that, but I do want to let the board know I will try to work past that and keep these matters moving forward. Oh, one last thing. It requires, and, and I, I think Dr. Tejada know, knows this, but I want to just make sure we're on the same page to the board. That consultation service, it requires the agreement of the Academic Senate president and the college president. They both have to sign off on the memo requesting the consultation. So we have to start with that level of agreement first to achieve just that first workshop uh, consultation. And I certainly am in favor of that. And I, I believe my colleague, it sounded like she is as well. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Cross. Trustee Goff. Yeah, I'd like to bring this back to the to the BP 4300 that we're, we're focusing on. And I remember when this was brought forward originally, and the real question was, we have the CC, CCLC template. It does not mandate a, a AP, which I, I think is correct. I don't think we should have any wording regarding how an AP comes out of our board policy. That's not our job as trustees. Our, tr our job as a board is to create policies and then to trust our president, our employee, to put together procedures to carry out our wishes, right, our direction. So when I look, I have the, the template in front of me. I have the proposed template, and, and I really think that the template that has gone through the CCLC is the one that we should adopt because it is general. It, it allows the president to create policy. And again, the expectation is that there will be a collegial consultation on it, but I would not want my hands tied if I was the president to do something when really I was hired to do a job and develop those procedures and if you don't like what I'm doing, you get rid of me. So I, I really want to, would like to go back to our original um, uh, board policy, which was last revised August 9th, 2012. That to me is the cleanest policy and it gives the president the um, freedom and the ability to write the AP according to collegial consultation. That, that is how I look at this. Thank you, Trustee Goff. Any other trustee comments? Trustee Rios? Yeah, in, in general, I think we should be sticking to the CCLC templates uh, as much as we can. They've been reviewed by council. They've been approved by the CCLC. So they're legal. They, they should be, you know, um, address those issues and, and um, we shouldn't deviate from that unless we absolutely have to. We have some special situation where, you know, it's it's advisable that we we change it. Um, so I, I guess I'm kind of agreeing with Trustee Goff, although I don't know why we wouldn't just adopt the the CCLC template. 
instead of going back to the old one. Any other trustees comments? Thank you, Trustee Rios. Well, is there a motion? Can, can we see the, the CCLC template again? Is that? Uh, hold on, I have to go back. Here it is. I think I'm I'm more personally kind of comfortable with the idea of keeping I guess the field the policy the way it is and assuming that there isn't any sort of major legal changes and it doesn't look like there has been in terms of what was the the previous uh, red line that we looked at. Um, it seems generally consistent. I think in terms of just keeping as opposed to doing something. No, and I'm sure it's probably generally consistent. I think it just may be, I just have a little bit of comfort, I guess, knowing that it was already been existent. It was, it looked generally fine and didn't appear to create any sort of meaningful issues based on the, the proposed changes that we, we saw, which seemed to be um, not meaningfully substantive with respect to, I, I think, uh, field trips themselves and the operational components of them. I'll move for approval to keep the existing template. Is there a second? Well, there is a second. Thank you, Trustee Baldini. Um, any discussion? Uh, Trustee Rios, or is that your hand down? Yes, hand down. Yeah. Okay, um, thank you. Um, I guess one, uh, in terms of the discussion, and this is for uh, uh, Dr. Frost, I recall one of our professors, um, instructors, had suggested that we need to provide something in rationale, or I think it's a Title V requirement, it's such that if, um, you know, there is a change with respect to what has been recommended outside of uh, you know, through the collegial consultation process or something that there needs to be a rationale for that. You've... You want me to comment? Please, yes. Thanks. Um, yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a really good example of just how, just how much respect and deference is given in, to the 10 plus one and, our, and faculty is that there are, there are going to be times when we don't always agree. When at such time where the, the procedure for in this case needs to move forward, and it could be a policy as well, um, there is a there is a need to communicate in writing that when when there is when there's a signal that this is not mutually agreed and there's sp the specific language is agreed on to what we don't agree to, then there is a response given in writing so that that's that's in the interest of all parties to be transparent and clear, here's why we didn't do this. And I think that's what the person was referring to. And that is, that is almost always, well, it's, it's in the statute. That is part of the way you uh, go through the mutual agreement process. Mutual agreement is, is not an entire procedure being mutually agreed. It's language that's related to the 10 plus one, 
within that procedure. And so that, you know, you have to give very special attention to that. And that's what faculty do. And, and we talk about it and we can't actually agree. There's where, in, you know, for, for, for keeping policy sparse, there's where the templates are very handy, but there's not always agreement that the template language, you know, serves the full purpose. I hope I answered Thank you. Question. No, that's fine. So would you be responsible? And I probably should ask this, right? Would you be responsible for submitting that explanation? I just want to make sure is that our Eileen O'Hare Anderson would be? I would be responsible for it, depending on the complexity of it. Um, you know, and this is where when, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going off here kind of on how I would imagine it in the future. When it's really working, you know, a Dr. Parker is going to be really good at this because she's the one dialoguing most actively. And so when it reaches the point of, you know, achieving mutual agreement, the final language might be worked out with the college president and put in the president's name. But oftentimes the language is actually drafted with with several people around the table, including faculty. Let's okay. let's be clear about what we don't agree on here so we can be transparent and accurate in our response to you. That is a is a process that's really working uh, collegially uh, at the table. OK, thank you. Uh, Trustee Baker, I see your hand up. We we do have uh, a motion on the on the floor right now. Yeah, actually, my question is about the motion because I'm not really clear. I understand the need for it because if our if our action here is to not make a change, do we need to vote to not make change? Yeah, I do. I do think um, it's a. a an action that has gone through, I think, the consultation process, and we need to provide a, a rationale for not going to move forward with that with that suggestion. I think if you do vote, you're showing that it was last updated in 2022. Also, um, that's the question. It made me think say, about it. All right. Or we could, sorry to, 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 to know Trustee Baker, now you have my mind thinking if we do it, but we could also say it was reviewed. It doesn't need to say it was modified. It was reviewed in, in 2022 and, and no action was taken on it. Okay. Um, does anyone want to with, with, uh, with, with withdraw their, their motion? We can decide to take uh, no action on it. But I, that would require a, a motion, a, 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 an amendment, and a second to amend. Uh, I will amend my motion. Is there a second? Yes, uh, Baldini seconds that motion, with the caveat that we are putting in that we reviewed it in 2022. Okay. So the motion is that the board has reviewed the document and makes no changes yes. to the current. Okay. Does that require, I'm just saying, does that require a vote now? It's a little bit of, I guess what there is a motion on the table. It is a motion. I think, so. you, I think the correct procedure is withdrawing the motion and then the second would need to withdraw their, their second as well. So. I'm just, curious why I mean 
I'll, I'll refrain from my comments. Um, I will withdraw my motion if that is the direction that you guys are looking for. And that, if it was with no motion on the table, we could we could move forward, and there's no action, no action on the item. I'd like to just have the motion voted on, and if it, it, that's that that seems wrong. <laughs> um, it I think the motion should be withdrawn. We considered this. We didn't take any action on it. Um, you know, we, we reviewed the current policy and we're not making any changes. That that doesn't. Yeah, I would, I, that, that, that's withdraw what I was looking for. Withdraw yeah. the motion. Okay. All right, there, seeing no other motions on the table, we could move forward with um, item 14.3. A board policy 2100 elections. Is there any public comment on this item, Catherine? Uh, no, I have received none and I see no hands raised. If none, I'd welcome a motion for approval. Move to approve. Thank you, Trustee Rios. Well, do you second? Trustee Baldini with a second. I'll take a roll call. Uh, student Trustee uh, Sota Gonzalez. Aye. Trustee Baldini. Aye. Trustee Goff. Aye. Trustee Rios. Aye. Trustee Baker? Aye. Trustee DeLuna? Aye. Trustee Iverson? Aye. I'll vote aye as well. 15.1 Standing Committee and other appointment uh, reports. Uh, DOS. Trustee Baldini, do you have anything to report? No, uh, no report. Next meeting is virtually second. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Baldini. Viticulture and Winery Foundation. I reported on our last meeting, which was uh, at our February 10 uh, meeting. So our next meeting is in uh, May. Thank you. And there is nothing to report from audit and finance. Um, real property, uh, Trustee Goff. Yeah, the, real property. The Lone Wolf. The lone wolf, the lone wolf that showed up. Um, we had a really great presentation about the Mount Vita property. And I believe um, what came out of that was uh, we need more information. In fact, the really exciting part was, at least for me, I didn't realize that, that our property, MVC property, is actually surrounded by other properties that are being used by other institutions for educational purposes. So we were pretty excited about the thought of, hey, how can we use this property, not for a convention center, but for a educational space for students? Um, so I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Foster, Dr. Parker, that we were going to investigate a little more how we could use that before we brought anything to the board. Is, isn't that what we decided? Yeah, and Dr. Yes. Parker, feel free to jump in here. Yes, I think the main thing we discussed was the idea of a study session in the months ahead. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Parker. Yeah. I did pop up my, my video. Um, we, we talked about how the, we got a really good sense of what the property 
is, how it's situated, what the allowable uses are, and all of that is foundational information for the next step, which is Trustee Goff described, which is engaging our campus community and integrating the discussion around what next steps are into our integrated planning process and, and the um, initiation in the relatively near future of educational master planning and facility master planning. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, McPherson, a distinguished teaching award. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to ask Dr. Oh, Parker me. to stay on. Yeah, Dr. Parker, can you give an update on the McPherson as well? I would love to do that. The okay. announcement for nominations went out about two weeks ago. The deadline to submit nominations is Friday, March 25th. Public Affairs and Communications is helping us with outreach around um, hoping to solicit quite a few nominations this year as we did last year. And I'll continue to announce it over the next weeks as well. Uh, my office was just working today on identifying some potential dates for hopefully an in-person celebration this spring of the, uh, the winner of the Distinguished Teaching Award. And the committee has um, done the work necessary to be prepared to review the applications once the deadline uh, arrives and, and those are released. So we're looking forward to that. Thank you. Dr. Ed Shank Award for Student Affairs. Inez? So we um, are going to be setting a meeting in the next week or so. Um, I did get an a, a email from um, Oscar about that and I'm available anytime. I'll make myself available when whenever anybody else is available but yeah we'll be having a meeting the next week I think Thank at you. this point trustee Iverson college foundation uh, I am not gonna there's a lot of good things happening and I'm not gonna steal Jessica's thunder so I'm hoping to have her come back in our next board meeting and do a report of what's going on with the foundation right now great great thank you uh, accreditation steering committee trustee luna anything to report i don't think so no just i think we have a meeting next week um cool. on that thank you uh let's see 15.2 future agenda item requests any uh additions Yeah, I was actually, um, given the number of um, questions that were presented to us, um, I think it was specifically the um, classified Senate and some other folks that in their presentations today that had some pretty direct questions. I just wondered what um, the plan was to try to address some of those. I don't know if it should be an agenda item or if there is going to be some sort of message or report um, or what, what your thoughts are on that. Um, I, I think we need, we need something a little more specific for an agenda. Maybe perhaps we can, if it, I think if um, Danielle and Dixie, but I think Danielle had the, the list of uh, five questions. If we can, I, maybe I can follow up with her. If she doesn't email it to, to Catherine with those those uh with her letter and then we can go over that maybe the two of us and see uh 
see the next steps maybe we can take, whether or not it's an agenda item or just a, a general statement, or maybe it's um, some sort of uh, immediate strategic plan to, you know, plan of action to, to, you know, for the next three months or something. I'm just spitballing here at very late in the night. So, but I'll, I'll, let's, uh, let's circle back with that, uh, Trustee Baker. Any other requests? Okay, seeing none. Um, we'll move on to 15.3 trustee uh, reports. Trustee DeLuna. Um, I just, you know, I, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that, um, I, and I speak for myself, that I am listening and I am doing all that I can. Um, I want everybody to know that I, I truly care about what happens in this college and this community. And um, I really hope that we can rebuild our relationships, that we can rebuild this college together <laughs> and that we can trust each other again. Um, or that you guys can trust us as a board. I'm sorry, I have something in my throat now all of a sudden. But um, yeah, I just, you know, I just want to make sure I, I am doing a lot in the community. And, um, you know, but, my, but the college is my focal point. So um, I just want to assure everybody of that. And thank you to everybody who commented today. Um, and I am looking forward to getting the written reports or the written comments that were submitted because I was taking notes, but I don't think I wrote fast enough. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Trustee. Uh, Trustee Goss? No report this month. Thank you. Trustee Rios? Um, yes, um, a couple of things. Well, just first kind of, I don't know if it's echoing uh, um, Trustee DeLuna, but I would hope it, it would go without saying that all members of the board care about the college community and the students. Well, why would we be here? I certainly wouldn't be here. So um, I, I want to assure everybody that that I'm committed to, for all of us to, to find a way to work together and be able to move forward for the good of the, the students and, and the college community. Uh, my second thing, I want to, um, I, I'm sure you all remember last month we, um, we received a letter, the board received a letter from the uh, Mexican-American Vintners Association uh, with some concerns about um, scheduling challenges uh, in the BWT program. And, you know, having members uh, and employees of members and just community members not being able to complete certificates or degrees because of these scheduling problems. Uh, we had a, uh, the uh, association had a board meeting um, this week, and I want to thank Dr. Parker, Dr. Marriott, uh, Marriott and VP Oscar Deato for attending that board meeting and starting a dialogue with the association uh, about those challenges. And, um, you know, we had a um, full disclosure. I'm, I'm part of that association. So we, we had a, a good discussion about those challenges, what they are, uh, what might be some solutions. Some um, Dr. Parker and, and the team from the college uh, were great on coming up with some ideas to follow up on. And so uh, thank you to the three of them, um, because it sounded like we've started a dialogue that uh, hopefully will be uh, very productive. Thank you. That's all. Thank you, Trustee Rios. Trustee Aldini. 
Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for doing that, uh, Trustee Rios. Uh, I too am in the uh, manufactured goods winery business, and education is a priority of mine, certainly, and uh, accessibility as well. And again, uh, having sat on the board as long as I have, and as long a time as Dr. Tejada and some of the other faculty members and administrators, it, it does pain me to see that that uh, uh, we're, we're in, again, a, a financial crisis uh, that we've seen before and that we've pulled out before as we've pulled together. So I, I am willing to uh, step in and roll up my sleeves and, and bring this uh, uh, bring this solution, whatever it is, as least painful as it 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 uh, it can be. Uh, thanks very much for your support. Thank you, Trustee Baldini. Student Trustee Soto Gonzalez. Uh, yeah, a couple of things. Oh, there we go. Um, I, I guess some things I want to report is, um, I know that for Marcus Texan, his report regarding how there are some students going to the Washington DC trip for the conference. Um, I'm one of those students, so you know, I'm excited going next week. Um, the other thing is, um, it's mostly questions about what was announced from the closed section. Like, um, what's the reason for having um, all those people, you know, Dismissed, you could say. Oh, like, oh, what's the reason? Like, that's my question. I'm sorry, could you repeat that, uh, Trustee Gonzalez? The, the question yeah. was, what was the purpose of, of reading out all of the, the names of, uh, of uh, administrators in terms of our, 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 our notice? And so, you know, I think maybe perhaps I can, or Dr. Frost, you, you want to jump in, but I think that the main purpose is, is we've, we're in a, a meaningful budget shortfall right now. Um, California state law requires for us to, to, to give notice mm -hmm. by March 15th, anyone that we are considering not renewing for the next year. Now we have we have a program right now that we that we couldn't finish in time, and so we that's an early retirement program. We need people to sign up for that program to help us cover a, a, a large deficit at the college. So we extended that program one more month. That allows us to 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 take more time to make these decisions. So we had to read off all of the names by or the positions by law that were included in 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 this notice. That that way, so we didn't make any decisions about any one position. We we noticed all of the positions and bought ourselves another month to decide how how to address the problem. Okay, that's it. Was very uncomfortable for all of us. I appreciate your asking about it. That was a very basic answer, and I'd be happy to talk with you about it more in the office tomorrow if you want, or we can talk by phone anytime too. Um, I, I, I need to. I'm going to have to make myself available to anybody that wants to talk about it and just describe the 
how the process works and what we're required to do, um, as are several other people in the meeting tonight. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I think my one last question before I end off will be like, is there any other solutions or answers to try and keep these amazing people in with the project? Because <coughs> I know they also, like, as a lot of people said in their public comments, like, they help so many students with everything. Like, I even know some that I can tell from the positions, like, oh my gosh, they helped me also with some stuff also. So that's why I was like, is there a way, like, as you said, within the next month of this session, like if a solution would have come up that they'll be able to also stay so that they can continue helping in this college for all the students? Yes. Okay. Yes. And we're working on that. I, I, I have to be really careful about what I'm allowed to say here and not allowed to say. I don't want you to go home tonight thinking all of those people are no longer going to work at the college. Not at all. We're going to do everything we can to bring them all back. I just can't promise that tonight. Um, gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Frost, and thank you, student trustee Scott Gonzalez. Um, trustee Baker. No report, really. Um, it was nice to see everybody uh, a few times over the last week or so, and. Um, only other thing I had, I got five tickets to the mariachi because there were five tickets left on that last row, but I only know four people that I could actually bring. So if anybody <laughs> wants to sit next to me um, and you need a ticket, uh, let, let me know. <laughs> uh, Trustee Iverson. Uh, I thought I had some things to say, but listening to trustee or student trustee, David Soto Gonzalez and his questions just kind of took it away from me because I think he's the reason that we're all here. And I, I echo all of my other trustees, but I uh, thank you for your questions. And none of this is easy for any of us and we will get through it. And thank you for all the speakers and comments this evening. Yeah, thank you, Trustee Iverson. I'd like to say thank you to everyone that attended, whether or not you're um, able to speak or just uh, we're listening. I think this is the most, I mean, three times as, as many people that we've had in a while. Um, obviously, really unfortunate situations, but I'm, I'm hopeful, uh, you know, that, that we're going to be OK. And I'm, I'm confident that, we'll, that we're um, that, we'll, that we will be. Um, in speaking of uh, next meeting, I, I was thinking that perhaps we could do April meeting in person. Um, I'm not sure I'll check with um, uh, Dr. Frost. Maybe we can touch base with Oscar and, and any other um, of the IT folks about whether or not the technology is there. I balance it really, I think, in terms of you know, in t- in talking about the number of attendees that we had tonight and the participation versus what we might lose if we just move to in-person. So I think I just want to make sure that our technology is really there so, to allow this level of participation. Um, Board of Trustees retreat of late June is what I was thinking. Um, I know Trustee Goff is gone for the month of July and I think August, maybe it's going to get a little bit too crazy. No, actually, I'm I'm gone the middle of June. Oh, okay, so maybe July maybe. then. Through July, I'll be back the last week in July. 
Okay, so maybe we try to do it the last week. Sorry about that, guys. Unless yeah. you guys are, unless we, I just, uh, does anyone know of any scheduling conflicts the last week of July? I don't have to think that far ahead. Yeah, well, well actually, that's a good, <laughs> trust me, because I, I actually I can't I didn't think that do far it. ahead. It could be anywhere. But. Right, well, uh, I did, I'm sorry, just I'm sure it's just so late. Um, know, my brain fine. is just scrambled right now. Um, is... I'd like to actually do it, Dr. Frost, while you are still here, and then perhaps have our, I think we should have our new superintendent as well by that time, so there's a little bit of overlap. Um, I think in terms of a program, I was thinking about something like, you know, five hours, so maybe something in a half day that, you know, ends with lunch, but a DEI um, is going to be a, 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 you know, portion of that. I've already talked with Dr. Munzami. Um, about a couple program speakers. I know Dr. Parker has suggested a couple um, good folks. Um, you know, and thank you, Dr. Frost, for, for asking uh, Dr. Parker to think there's some suggestions. So I think that'll probably be half it. And then I think another piece is going through board goals again, just to see where we're at and to go over those um, with, I know that was really important to trustee DeLuna to um, have our, our new superintendent permanent um, you know, review and, and thinking through our, our goals as well and to see if we need any revisions. So um, with that said, uh, Trustee Gobb, is there a time in June or are you just going, is, is, is graduation happening or are you skipping town? Um, I'm, I'm skipping town pretty much after graduation. We graduate the 14th. Uh, we're planning on leaving by the 16th or 17th. So we're gone that, that weekend. Okay. Okay. Sorry me, about that. No, 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 it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Let's, uh, let's, let's circle back and... Um, because I do, I would like to have that overlap, and I would love to do it sooner than later. Um, but let me just—we we have time to think about it. Okay. So I'll try, you do I'll try it like to get the first weekend in June and work. You know, if you did it like yeah. the front end, I'm, I'm not going to be here that weekend. Ah, okay. 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 Well, I'll circle back. I'd rather be here. I have to go yes. to North Dakota. <laughs> oh, that sounds exciting. All right. What, what about late May? Um, yeah, late May works for me, I think. Right after graduation or before. <laughs> right before yeah, I don't think college graduation. Yeah. Oh, right before. Yeah. yeah, so maybe maybe that if, if everyone I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And perhaps so is is it too bold to do a weekend day? I'd prefer a weekend day. I would as well. Yeah. This is just That's a really long day. day. Yeah. I okay, think here, here's the deal. I'm going to ask Catherine or someone, or maybe I'll send out a doodle poll and we'll just mm -hmm. say we have to do this right now. But um, I'd love to, I think in, 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 in late May, if we can try to figure that out. So yeah, I don't want to take Great any time idea. for that. Um, but yeah, I think those are the two, if you have any suggestions, like I said, I was thinking kind of a five hour program. I think half of that program will be DEI related training and trying to get some good speakers to come uh, to us and then review of board goals. And so maybe there's an opportunity for another 45 minute kind of program. Can, uh, I, can I suggest or request something on the yeah. DEI, the DEI especially, that it, it's a training as opposed to speakers just talking at us? Yeah. You know, with, I don't know, exercises or something. Um, rather than just set, having somebody, I, I totally, I totally agree. Yes, I know. I think it'll be very, I and mean, that's at least my goal is to have it, uh, you know, very interactive, and then also trying to really to apply it to the college as well. 
I think I want something, you know, kind of more broad based educational and then something maybe more kind of locally based to kind of implement um, that, you know, that the practice of what perhaps of what we've learned or, or what we know. Yeah. Good idea. All right, guys. Thanks for letting me blabber on. We are going to call this uh, meeting and adjourn it at 9.54 um, p.m. And we will reconvene on April 14th for a regular regular meeting. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good night. night. Good night. Good night. Good night, Oscar.